Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again with the man himself, Adam Chemaluski. Chema, how are you, my man? Fucking happy as hell, man. I'm going to a concert tomorrow. Glad we're getting this episode and starting up spooky season, no less, too, man. So let's fucking do this. I'm excited. Halloween is upon us. Um, full disclosure, folks, we're recording this well before Halloween, um, actually before October <laughs> begins, but... Uh, by the time it comes out, it will be uh, we'll be right in the thick of things. So uh, yeah, we're getting we're getting the Halloween stuff started now. Um, but before we dive before we dive deeper into this episode, um, let's start with a little lightning round question. Chema, what movie trilogy would you like to see reduced to a single movie? Okay. I'm going to tell you this horror trilogy mainly because the only way I'm ever going to watch it is if it is reduced down to a single movie. And that is the human centipede movies. Now I'll tell you, I haven't watched any of these. Why? Because from the posters, I kind of know what they're about. I've, I've, I've gotten it. Like the, I don't necessarily feel that like I need to see any more than what's beyond the posters and the descriptions and maybe a couple of clips and stuff. So I got to tell you, like, I feel the point is the point has been made with the first one, you know, obviously. And the second and third installments are just basically more bodies. So why not do Human Centipede 1, Act 1, Human Centipede 2, the full sequence, Act 2, and then Human Centipede 3, the final sequence as Act 3. That's all one movie to me. And even all the movies themselves are just the same with more people. So the human centipede trilogy is one consolidate that motherfucker down. I will, I will tell you this. Um, you need to see, you need to see human centipede. The first one. Um, okay. 100% you need to see it. It's definitely not, it's definitely not what you're thinking. I mean, it is what you're thinking, oh. but it is, it is, trust me, it is what you're thinking. But like, there's the it has the remnants of an actual movie um, around it. Whereas I haven't seen the third one. I've seen I've seen the the second one though. That one is some. It's it's Tom Six trying to pretend he's the director, writer. It's Tom Six trying to pretend like he's smart. So it's like a meta movie, where okay. the Human Centipede is a movie in that one, and oh, it drives okay. this one person deranged to want to make his own human centipede. Um, okay. And it's just fucking, it's utter, complete trash. Um, the first one is trash as well. But like, again, there's like, the guy who plays the doctor, Dieter Laser, um, actually has some like, it's, he is playing it in a way that, he's playing the doctor in a way that makes it feel like, almost like it's, he, he kind of, he's kind of in on a joke. Um, okay. And there are points in times where like, there are clear jokes, like visual jokes in that movie. Um, but it just never, it never gets to the point of parody, which I think Human Centipede could have been really funny, could have been really funny if it did go like full parody of horror movies. Okay. If it, like, if it was okay. making fun I... of like the Saw movies, it was making fun of those kind of movies. It, it yeah. could have been like really funny, but like it took itself too serious. There's also this really weird, I swear, I swear to God, there's also this really weird phenomenon wherein the the two women the two american girls in this in this movie their acting becomes significantly better after they're quote unquote sewn to each other okay oh that's it's really very bizarre now. but they're like good <laughs> yeah. eye actors like they're facial actors and the ter- mm-hmm. they're kind of like terrible regular actors okay i got you dude like 
in one of those situations, like the first one I could see, I guess, being good because it was a big time cultural phenomenon. I mean, it's not like, good, I, but it's it's like it's one of those things or something. I'll, yeah. I'll, I would tell people like, yes, you should at some point in time in your life see that movie. OK, gotcha. Yeah, I will add it to the list of stuff to check out for um, or my spooky season watching this year for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But the other two. Nope. You don't need it. I, like I said, haven't seen the third one, saw the second one. You don't need to see it. You do. Okay. Like there is, there is nothing clever about that movie. There's no, there's no humor. It's, it's a fucking bleak, disgusting, awful movie that like no one needs to watch. No one. I gotcha, dude. I gotcha. So I'll keep that in mind. First one only. Yeah. There you go. Human centipede. Good, good. You know what though? Good answer because just stop after the first one. Um, good answer. <laughs> Uh, Chema, this is, in terms of, like, non-horror, and I, I this is on my mind because it's going to be coming out soon enough, um, boy, they, for all, for all of the, I mean, this movie made tons, these movies made tons and tons of money, but, boy, you really kind of trampled on the idea of the first one when you went ahead and made the subsequent two Matrix movies. That oh, yeah, oh, man, yeah. You really trampled on the idea of what the first one was. And the uniqueness of it, because it wasn't, I mean, there's plenty of special effects and things, obviously, um, you know, it popularized that, you know, the bullet time shots and stuff like that. Um, probably whether or not people uh, in America know it or not, that was probably their first introduction to anime was the Matrix. Um, that mm-hmm. movie is live action anime, uh, basically. Um, so it, it like that, that first movie has so much and so much packed into it. And it's so interesting. And I could literally... Chum, if we ever wanted to do a podcast on that on the first one, I could talk about that movie for no fewer than four hours um, and <laughs> not get bored of talking about it. But the subsequent two mm-hmm. movies just don't care about. I just yeah, I just really don't care about their big CGI fucking big CGI action movies. They're not the they're not the smaller scale sort of um, I, I guess like um, cyberpunk thriller is what I'd call it. Call the first one. Mm hmm. Yeah, dude, I remember going to see The Matrix 2 in the theaters, and um, there's a big sequence, like a drum-driven techno-y sequence where Neo and Trinity are making out, and there's like this party kind of going on. Oh, a big orgy, big cave orgy. Yeah, and that's really not what I think the original movie is supposed to be. And like when you watch the original, which um, it, it's been a while for me, but like, it seems like I, it seems like the matrix is always a topic of discussion in like the world and stuff. So you never run out of theories or, or like, you know, weird stuff that you see about it online, whatever. So um, especially with the fourth one coming out, there's been a lot of like matrix talk and the, the zeitgeist and the resurgence. So um, I got to tell you, man, like the other two just like they don't even feel like anything like the first one like it's the same mm-hmm. characters you're looking at the exact same people you're actually looking at uh, a couple hundred versions of the same character in the third movie but it just doesn't feel like it and the second and third movie it seems like they took like all of kind of like the gimmicky stuff or the stuff that people were you know maybe reenacting with like the, the bending and the way that they shot some of the stuff and just tried to carry it over into two other movies and it doesn't capture what the first one did and it is that minimalism in the first one that really stands out amongst the other two mm-hmm. yep exactly and it's at least judging by by the trailer uh for the fourth one it's pretty clear that this movie is going to be significantly more like the first one than it will be like the subsequent two sequels. 
I hope so. Um, that's coming out what November, December? I think it's I think it's very beginning of December. Okay, like I'm gonna get that's one that I'm gonna get to the theater and make sure that I check out because I'm I feel that um, this is one of those franchises that you went in with such a bang, like such a bang with that first one, and it just never really got any justice. So hopefully this fourth one. Uh, not necessarily saying it's going to be better than the first one. I highly doubt that, but hopefully it's way better than the second mm-hmm. and third installments to give us like some kind of cool catharsis on the the saga and stuff like that. You know, at least let us feel like we're going out with a winner. There's there's an interesting theory that I read, and I and I agree with you there. Like I I want all that. There's an but there's an interesting theory I read about this the one that's coming out that. So like we we get introduced the, to the idea right away that like you just get you can just be reinserted into the matrix if you want to be okay um, mm-hmm. so that like obviously Neo and and Trin- like none of these people die necessarily they're reinserted um, okay and their consciousness just sort of cycles through the matrix again um, mm-hmm. that the to sort of maintain status quo you know because there's like a truce right at the end of the third movie that like. We're going to, you know, the people that want to be freed are freed. The people that don't want to wake up, they're still there helping to run the machinery. Um, Mm -hmm. So the idea is that all the events from, at least from the first movie, are, again, a meta movie inside of this movie. That it's like a, it's a piece of pop culture that they know about in Matrix 4, is Matrix 1. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting now. That's a, it's a theory, but, uh, you know... I'm not sure if that makes it better or worse, but it does. I am sort of like, well, that's that's something. That's very interesting. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a nice little uh, conversation piece on the movie for sure. And like, yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait till we see the movie to find out. But I got to say that that's pretty interesting and also very, very much in line with the Matrix and like kind of the the thought process. And it's very, it's very on character for the yeah. Matrix. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the whole. There's um in the first movie and I, I I promise this will be the last thing I say about the Matrix. There's I I believe the title of the book that Neo stores like his drug stash in or is it a dr- yeah I think it's a drug stash. Um, it's either a drug stash or it's an electronic stash, probably both. Um, it's the that book is called I think it's Simulations and Simulacra, which are about which is about it's like a philosophical book about simulations inside of simulations. Oh wow! Okay. All right. Well, now I got something to read after I get done reading the Dune book. There you go. There you go. All right. So there you go. Promise that was the last thing I'm talking about. But it is a topical because we are talking about horror movie trilogies because this is we're into spooky season. Although I'm calling it the Fright Fest from now on, Chema, and here's why. Um, there was a supercut last year. I think I think it was on. I think John Oliver had it. There's a supercut of all of the newscasters around yep. the country. Yes. You know how yep. many of them say spooky season? A lot of them do, yeah. if not pretty much all of them. And what follows that, um, what follows th- those two words or what comes before it is often corny as fuck. Yep. So I was just kind of like, I'm like, okay, I need to de, I need to uncorny this a little bit at least. So we're, we're into Fright Fest. It's a little bit generic, but so is spooky season. And we don't sound like, we didn't sound like two fucking cornball anchors from Fox 8. So, um, right. I, I think that's a win. Um, but we are talking about horror movie trilogies, um, and I think I think this is a really good segue because we talked about last year that we we're going to start theming all of our Halloween episodes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it just it makes sense. Like instead of just kind of going blind into like, hey, let's just watch some horror movies and talk about them, 
we give it a theme, we can kind of narrow our focus. And I, I know we both we both came away from it last year um, with you know when, I, when we did our John Car- or John Carpenter or John Carpenter profile and we watched uh, Christine and uh, In the Mouth of Madness. That was like highlight of the year. We're doing those episodes. Highlight of the year. Mm-hmm. I loved watching In the Mouth of Madness. Um, I'm probably going to watch that again this year, uh, along with the DVD copy or Blu-ray copy of They Live that I bought during our John Carpenter uh, Very nice. our episodes last month. So, yeah, I got to tell you, like, and I still keep going back to In the Mouth of Madness because I could not believe it was that fucking good. Like, yep. that could easily be one of John Carpenter's best goddamn movies it's, <laughs> like, I mean, in, it's, in the top five. Easily. It is. It is legitimately his last great movie. And besides, you know, besides that run from um, Assault on Precinct 13 all the way up through, um, I guess, Prince of Darkness. I mean, like, that's, you know, which is mm-hmm. a fuck. By the way, we're talking like a 16, 17 year run of just right. like banging out hits for the most part. Um, yeah, like that's that that belongs in that same discussion with a lot of those movies, I think, it, even though it doesn't have the critical success. Um, mm-hmm. or should say the, you know, the, the financial success, it's, it, it's pretty like I, a lot of the research that I was doing on in the mouth of madness after, you know, getting ready for that episode, it's definitely like one of those people, people in the know and people who are big fans of, of sort of that type of horror movie. Like that it's, it's like a borderline masterpiece. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. And I do. So like a couple of days ago, um, I had some teeth pulled um, last week and everything on Thursday. So I had two days just kind of like relaxing and not doing too much and stuff. So I was like, maybe I should try to watch The Ward. Just totally came into my mind. Right. It is not available on any of the streaming services for free. (laughs) How the how is this possible? Like, I know that there's these formulas and everything and there's all these deals and stuff, but I'm like, we have so many streaming services. We have, we pretty much have everything but Disney plus Peacock and the Paramount thing. And the ward is not on any of that. That's ridiculous. It's almost like it's fucking disgusting is what it is. It's ridiculous. Who, I mean, I bet if you were to search hard enough on like YouTube, you might be able to find like, um, a version of it that's like backwards like there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of mirrored which is funny that they still exist but there's like a lot of mirrored mm-hmm. versions of movies on youtube um yeah if you know how to search for them but i don't even think like the the question is like do you want to try that hard to watch the ward right I, like at this point in time like i'm probably just gonna end up buying it but like i was kind of scorned there i'm like how do how is this movie not on any of the streaming services and the same thing happened with me um a couple weeks ago when i was trying to randomly watch the running man mm-hmm. for some dumb reason i just want to watch the running man right i've watched it on amazon before not on amazon netflix hbo uh, hulu any of that stuff i you know like I, I always wonder i mean i know i know these companies you know they essentially are leasing the, the content from whoever the fuck owns them, you know, whatever studio owns them. But like what it always, I'm always very confused at the stuff that does, that does slip through the cracks. Like what's, what's the plan? Like, why are some of these movies just sitting around on nothing? Like what's the pool? Like yeah. how they can't make you money if they're not on something. Right. And I highly doubt anybody is just going to randomly rent the running man. Like I would, I swear I would bet like, I'd bet a good amount of money that um, if we were to look at like the statistics of like, who's actually buying these, 
there may be one person in the entire fucking world who rented the running man last month. And it's like, what are you? So you're happy with that three ninety nine? <laughs> like, I mean, you couldn't have made more money off it just by giving in the package deal to another streaming service. Mm-hmm. I, I do, And it was Arnold, by the way, who rented it. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, that's, that, that is something that like, I don't know. I'm sure there's an answer somewhere. Again, I know a lot of it's just like whatever contracts they have with whatever companies, with whatever production companies and studios. Like I get that's part of it, but like, like why is some of this shit just sitting doing nothing? Like, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it before. Like the Disney vault, there's stuff in the, in the quote unquote, the Disney vault since they acquired, what did they acquire? Sony? Uh, God, Fox. 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 Yeah. There's tons of stuff sitting in the Fox. Like, once they acquired Fox, there's tons of stuff that they just pulled and there's just not available, which blows my mind. Like, what Like what are you doing with it if you're not doing anything with right. it? Right. Collecting fucking dust for no reason. Bizarre. Bizarre. Anyway, back to this episode. Uh, season of the Trilogy <laughs> is what we're calling it. Um, yeah, this, this sort of feels like a natural progression, too, because of the incredible abundance of horror trilogies. And if you mm-hmm. here's your here are your four dollar your, your I don't know fifty cent word of the day words of the day, um, horror trilogies horror trilogies and also tetralogies which are four movies mm-hmm. or four a collection of four and pentalogies, okay. um, a collection of five movies or five stories or whatever. I just always assumed it was quad and quint, but apparently the the correct terminology is a tetralogy, for four movies or four books, four stories, whatever, or pentalogy for five. Okay, gotcha. But, yeah, I'm going to have to keep a note of that because I wrote Quadrilogy in my outline. I did too, and I was just like, wait a second. I don't, like, I just happened to look it up, and it's not incorrect, but there, there is a quote, there's a more correct word for it, obviously. I gotcha, yeah. Um, but anyway, these can all be traced back to, like, the popular, the pop, like, how they became so popular, um, they can all be traced back to none other than John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. and it's because Halloween was such a massive success on a scant, scant budget, $325,000 budget, which, you know, if, if that's an independent movie from the late 1970s, it would still be, that's still in line with most independent movie budgets now. I mean, it's not like it's yeah. nothing, but most independent movies don't earn back like 200,000 times their, their budget, which... Halloween oh, did absolutely not. So yeah, no, it's no, definitely not. Um, yeah, so Halloween, Halloween, three hundred twenty-five thousand dollar budget, seventy million dollars theatrical gross. That is outrageous in any. It doesn't matter the time frame that it happens. Um, even if, if that happened now, if you had a, a movie that cost one million dollars that made back seventy or eighty million, that'd be a huge fucking return. Um, so because of how successful Halloween was. All of these studios just greenlit a bunch of horror movies in the 80s to kind of capture that success. Halloween 2 is an obvious one. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, have it, I have it down here in the outline that I'll have a, a list. And that's something I totally forgot to do today. But, like, um, there are some that kind of, like, come to mind that were, like, that were very obvious and very interesting. Because, you know, when we did our Psycho 1960-98 comparison, it's 1982, they greenlight the, the Psycho sequel. 22 years in between sequels, but because, and it, and the psycho movies become very different. Um, after, you know, after the first one, they've become very much more standard slasher movies. Um, so you have, you have, uh, you have psycho, you have this very sudden resurgent in all of the, of the dead movies. Um, there's a mm-hmm. ton of them get greenlighted in the night in the 1980s. And you can really trace it back all to Halloween, having this massive 
this one massive splash and then like hey we can do a ton of cheap horror movies and then like just see what we get back every studio had the right. same idea of course oh yeah dude so that's why we're going to be doing uh that's what we're going to be doing here we're going to be talking talking trilogies and obviously a lot of these extend beyond trilogies um but we'll kind of be focusing on and you'll see why as we get to the end of this episode you see why we're focusing on on these uh on these rules of three these three movie these three movie uh offerings but i do have a little trivia question for you chum um do you know who wrote and this the question's a little bit it's not totally accurate but it you you still might you might actually still be able to get this um and i'll tell you why it's not totally accurate but who wrote the first known trilogy who wrote the first known trilogy? You you might have studied this. Oh. We might have studied this in high school. George Lucas? Is that your final guess? That is the final guess. Ace Cleus in 485 BC. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I was way off on that one. Yes, yep. you were. A couple thousand years <laughs> off. Um, there was... It, it, it stems back to like a, a poetry competition that they used to have in athens and ace cleus wrote the oresteia um it's about orestes and like the death of or the murder of agamemnon and orestes murdering his mother and the trial and everything else um but mm-hmm. they the the way that they they set up the contest you had to tell three stories um so this is kind of the birth of i mean obviously a trilogy but like in the sense of sort of you could even say this is sort of the birth of sort of the beginning middle end storytelling kind of structure anyway mm-hmm. um and gotcha. it's a little bit it's not totally accurate because the oresteia is the only surviving work that we have from the period so okay ace Cleus might not have been the first but like it's like the one that we have to refer back to okay i gotcha ace Cleus way back in ancient greece that actually makes sense like yeah. it's um not to say that like george lucas or whatever was that far off but if we're talking like in terms of the foundations of the trilogy having it come from ancient Greece makes all the sense of the yeah. world. There is, there is sort of, and actually uh, George Lucas is beaten by quite a bit anyway, in terms of like movies. Um, I thought about using this question, but there isn't like, there isn't like a definite answer um, mm-hmm. simply because some of these movies, like they literally don't, they like, they don't serve, like they're not surviving anymore. Like they're just known yeah. movies. So it gets hard to like piece together if these were actually trilogies or not. But it's it's a mm-hmm. possibility that the first trilogy was the Gollum, um, was like okay. a German as a German Jewish film from like the nineteen teens, um, or yes. three films from the nineteen teens. Um, Frankenstein, uh, you know, the first Frankenstein followed by Bride of Frankenstein and, and those movies, um, mm-hmm. and then or possibly Doctor Mabuse, another German okay. horror movie. The Germans have, by the way, Germans early German cinema. It's all scary shit. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. It's like it's all scary shit. But it could have been the Dr. Mabuse um, movies, which were directed by Fritz Lang, probably more famously of Metropolis. Um, mm-hmm. But it, 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 it's weird. The first Dr. Mabuse movie is in 1922. The last one is in 1960. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's a long period of time. That's yeah. for sure. Wow. <laughs> but it's, but like, yeah. it's, it's hard to say if any of these are actually trilogies. Um, like yeah. the, the Gollum is like clearly at least two stories that are like related. And the third story just has the golem in the name. It's not, I, you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. the relationship to like each other is a little bit less exact than you would, than right. how we, how you and I think of trilogies now. No, I completely understand what you're talking about. And, and it makes sense when you go into like, when you said about Frankenstein and everything, like 
the subsequent movies and stuff, it's, I don't know. It's not like there's any, it doesn't feel like there's any like direct relation other than the fact that it's Frankenstein. And even when you get into like the house of Frankenstein, which had like all the universal monsters in it, it's, it's like, I don't even really know if you count that. Does that really cap it off? Cause they had a, a right. bunch of other Frankensteins after that. Right, right. Exactly. It's, it's a little tougher to pin that down. And I, I, I my guess would be that, that, you know, like what, what's the first movie trilogy. I don't think there's like a really an answer to it. There's just sort of guesses. Yeah. No, of course, definitely. And you might find all the, like, people might argue this or the creature from the Black Lagoon or there might be a random character that pops up in some, like, you know, Portuguese directors from the 40s, three movies in a row. There's, that could be it. Who the hell knows? There, there are some people that, there are some people, when I was researching this one, there are some people that think that the first, like, real, true, plotted trilogy is from, like, an Indian director in the 1950s. Who's like okay? Who like in film circles is like a really famous director. Um, like if you're you know if you're into that area era of movies, like he's pretty famous. But like that that might have been the beginning of like what really is like the first true trilogy. So it might not even okay. might not have even been that long ago. You know what I mean? But again, mm-hmm. like it's it's so open to interpretation. There's probably not like a real answer. Yeah, I gotcha. Definitely. But let's but let's get back to it. Let's talk about the 1980s. Um, so again, trilogies and longer movie series they've been around for a while, but they exploded in the 1980s in part because of what we discussed with um, the success of Halloween in 1978. But there's other factors, obviously. So Chema, what do you think is a is a factor in driving this phenomenon? Okay, I think that this comes down to two things, and it is um, they're you know in direct relation with one another. And the first one is that it's the birth of the blockbuster in the 1970s, and then it's also the end of the new Hollywood era in the early 1980s. So I'm sure you know about this, but for people in our audience who do not know. Way back in 1948, there was an infamous antitrust case, the U.S. versus Paramount Studios, the big Hollywood antitrust Mm -hmm. case, or called the Paramount case that you could actually go to Wikipedia for. And what this was is basically the studios were showing their movies in theaters that they own doing this thing called block booking. And this was a way to package films together. And you could sometimes package shitty films with other stuff, with uh, good films. Sometimes you might just get all good films. There might be even newsreels. There's all these different things that they were able to package together to kind of manipulate the market. And they eventually formed what is called an oligopy, which is uh, the um, monopoly, but OLI in front of it. And that is the market being controlled by a select group of people. And so they went before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court uh, ruled against the studios and made it so the studios could no longer own the theaters that they show their movies in. And what this did was it caused absolute fucking chaos in the um, 1950s and 60s. And the studios were hurting really bad. And then along came TV and it's like, oh, shit, here's television, which throws another wrench in everything. So studios were relying on different things like Technicolor, Mm -hmm. 3D, all this stuff, these different spectacles to kind of get people to come to the theater. Well, that still didn't even work. And so they were doing all this research and everything. And they found that um, the um, the age bracket, the demographic of people who went to the movies more often, that had shifted to a more younger generation. And the younger generations at the time were really gravitating towards these European films that were breaking big in America. And so in 1967, which is the unofficial start of the new era with Warren Beatty's film Bonnie and Clyde, mm-hmm. 
This gave rise to prominence of filmmakers. These are the Scorsese's, Spielberg's, Francis Ford Coppola's, the George Lucas's of the world. These all people rose to prominence in the, in this time period because the studios, in a desperate gambit to try to get some money, were doing everything that they can, including giving more creative control to these auteurs. And then what happened in the 1980s was the studios made a hellified fucking comeback. And much like everything in the 80s that just got corporatized to death, the rise of the studios gave way for them to really pump the industry element elements back into the movie industry. And because of this, like, kind of, I guess if you want to call it greed, if you want to call it business, if you want to call it making more movies, whatever you want to call it. But because of this, this then drove the desire to rehash characters like Norman Bates to put him in a sequel that came out of nowhere. This is how we get uh, three or four Nightmare on Elm Street movies in the same decade. This is how all of a sudden there's an Empire striking back and then a Return of the Jedi in a couple of years apart while there's a larger gap between the first Star Wars and Empire. So that is what I attributed to. It is the studios basically taking the business back and the rise of the blockbuster, which gave them movies to then duplicate. I like it. I like it. And and, and you're, you're totally dead on. And I love the little history lesson there, too. Like, that's a that's like a really it's just so funny thinking about how like there's a long period of time where like movie theaters felt like truly threatened by like the mm-hmm. two TV shows that were on at the time. <laughs> I know. You know like, I know, man. I mean, right. <laughs> Uh, like realistically, go back to the, like the 1950s and 60s. There was not a lot on TV, and like and, and like now they're competing against 400 fucking channels uh, plus streaming plus everything else. But um, but like good history lesson, and I like it. Like you're you're hitting on something that you're hitting on like one side of something that I was going to talk about too. That by the time we get to the 1980s, movie execs are really savvy, and like we're getting our first sort of this is our first sort of like really true delve into into like in, into consumer data in the 1980s um mm-hmm. be, c- companies themselves are more savvy um you yeah. in 1980s that's it's the decade of big business right a big brands big business um the corporate greed consumerism it's the the, the 1980s is called the decade of decadence for a reason um <laughs> because these and this in, you know the movie studios aren't strangers to sort of to you know to to this sort of like these sort of business tactics too and you're you're dead right. Like they have a popular property, so well, why don't we just continue to 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 mine that popular property? People love this is the era where people love to wear, you know, to shop Nike, buy guest mm-hmm. jeans, buy this, buy that that has a big brand name. Well, Star Wars is a big brand name. Back to the Future is a big brand name. Halloween is a big brand name. Nightmare on Elm Street is a big brand name. Why don't we, the movie studios, just sort of, not exactly clone, but come up with our own version of having brand names for people to buy? Mm-hmm. That's, that is exactly right. Like, the 1980s was the king of the brands, all that stuff. I mean, you remember what clothes looked like back then. These were like when um, Nike had windbreakers that actually said Nike in big, huge, huge lettering yep. across from them and stuff. And, like, this is when... Um, you know, it's the same thing with Gap and like a big GAP on all of your fucking clothes and stuff. Like the 1980s, like human beings were practically like walking billboards for various products and stuff like that. And every time like that you go see an 80s movie or even a movie that is or TV show that's made today that's supposed to take place there, that is definitely like a 
standard archetype of the 80s is they had at least one or two characters that are dressed out like decked out like they're all like a billboard and stuff Mm -hmm. and it makes total total sense that the movies would jump on this too like and they are right is that these intellectual properties are brands and if you're looking at star wars where you're not just talking about a movie but you're talking about books and you're talking about toys Mm -hmm. and lunch boxes and everything in the world that you can possibly make will have a star Wars thing. And even today there's freaking death star ice cube trays for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, it is like, it is a brand as a brand as a brand. And like, in all these other movies um, that you had mentioned, like back to the future, all this stuff, they just followed suit. Like jaws was, uh, was a brand and stuff. So yeah. it's not like, and it's not like all movies are brands, but there are certain movies that just are elevated to that level where it's more than a movie. Exactly. Exactly. Look, I mean, it's just it's just funny. Like, this is something we expect from these from these big movies now. Um, like, you know, you get your Star Wars oranges at the grocery store. Like, it's it's just something mm-hmm. you expect. But like, there was definitely, I, I, I mean, probably not culture shock, but it just must have been very interesting at, at some point in time to realize like how much Star Wars stuff you could actually buy in the 1980s. That, oh, but yeah. That in 1978, you know, the year after the first one, I mean, I, for sure they had stuff available because it was such a popular movie, but probably the depth of the stuff that you could buy doesn't really expand until the 1980s. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that the seventies had like, you know, your usual stuff like toys and maybe a commemorative collector's mm-hmm. mug or something like that, that they were selling. But when you hit into the eighties with empire and stuff, I mean, this is just where like everything where like, you're just like breaking open the dam here. And it's like something that if they were able to make it somewhere out there, there is it with Star Wars. I'm talking about everything from light switch, light switch plate covers <laughs> to, um, you know, to, to toothbrushes all the way on down the line. And like, it's because of like those types of marketing and that type of brand building and those sales of products that Star Wars becomes more than a movie, becomes like a fucking lifestyle, becomes a convention thing and becomes something that's a staple of our pop culture for going on 40 years now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, besides like, you know, besides like, uh, I guess the behavior around movies, how do you think, how do you think that this sort of changed the movies back then themselves? Like what the actual effects in the movies then? Okay. So like with the, um, we're talking like the, um, okay, well, with special effects wise, it did a whole fucking lot for it because these sequels and everything just pioneering developments in special effects. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like other types of effects, like one thing that I was able, that I kind of focused in on was like, it seems like this is when the actual line was drawn between the film and the movie where since it was this big explosion of these sequels that, and I will say that like, yes, like these are all, it's art, you know, it's film, it's art, no matter what it is. If it's a Andy Warhol's eight hour movie of the empire state building or psycho number two, in some way, shape or form, this is art. Now it Mm -hmm. depends on who you talk to, but it is art. And I think that when these sequels blew up, it kind of drew this line where we started to take art and almost put it into like different like kinds of subcategories. And I feel that this is when like when what the Academy like started to feel is like what our Oscar pictures and stuff was film, what's all this stuff. This is when like these decisions were made. And then there was the other side of the line, which is your more like for the business type movies that go and fund the Academy award winning movies for the studios. 
Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. That makes sense. Um, anything else in this in that regard? So the other thing that I could basically think of is that it just opens the fucking door. It blows the roof off for the cinema in general. Like it just explodes and everything. And with the rise of mall culture and everything, this is this like um, almost just like this rip roaring era where like the movies and everything like just big money once again, like super big money once again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, so I'm glad you I, I'm actually I'll start there. I'll start with the, you mentioned like the special effects stuff. And I'll, I'll sort of I'll sort of use this as a chance to like give some praise to how movies kind of changed in the 1980s, um, because we you know because we have because someone's gonna get you know the chance to like tell especially with these horror movies you're gonna get the chance to tell like you know you're gonna chance to tell two or three chapters maybe even four chapters of you know of a story it kind of expands the the filmmakers' abilities to do more things. Um, you know, you can try to experiment with more, you know, different shooting techniques, special effects, um, some of the, some of the more interesting deaths and stuff from these, from the 1980 horror movies come from spinoffs, come from sequels, come from like the, the offshoots of like the originals. Um, because Mm -hmm. the filmmaker was just like, well, shit, like, why don't we try, I don't know, why don't we try disemboweling someone like instead of, instead of strangling them or stabbing them like in the first movie, like, why don't we try this? And because you have all of these, like, you have, like, the, that willingness to sort of, like, do more, there's just some more interesting things come out of it. Um, you know, special, effect, special mm-hmm. effects-wise, makeup-wise, there's just, there's sort of, you know, it's, like, it's I guess it's for that filmmaker, um, you know, for the filmmakers, maybe the makeup people, whatever, the people who are effects supervisors, it's sort of just, like, it, it's a very low-risk, high-reward if you, if you pull off what you're trying to pull off, right? So... Mm-hmm why not try to do something really fucking gory and disgusting when you, you know, when maybe the first thinking about like the first Friday, the 13th, how much more by the book it is in terms of like a slasher movie and how the later ones just get so much more violent and so much more over the top. Why not? Why not try it? Because like, who the fuck cares is the fifth one. Oh, exactly, dude. Like, that's a really good point. And if, um, if I go back to the Halloween movies, like Michael Myers gets progressively angrier as the sequels go on and stuff like there are, and the deaths and everything like that for that time period do get like a little bit more elaborate. You know, we're not splitting anybody open in Halloween number five, but there's a little bit more like creativity with the deaths. And like, you know, I personally feel that like those are like the rage Michael Myers movies because it's just, you know, it's a completely different turn on the character from what we mm-hmm. saw in the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think you're also Chema, you're also, you're also, I don't know, like, I don't want to say this is, like, a, a, a bad thing or, or a good thing, but you also, like, sort of, you literally cheapen the final product um, mm-hmm. when you have all these sequels. And I, I mean that, like, I mean that, like, these are, like, no-lose propositions for the studios. Um, you, can, you can basically set, like, a, a no-name filmmaker to do, like, the third and fourth installments of movies for no budget with... Mm-hmm. You know, with unnamed actors, minimal sets, thin story, and all you have to do is, like, worry about, like, basically putting the budget into a fax work. And guarantee you that movie will make back 10 to 15 times its budget. That's, like, a no-lose proposition for the studio. And when you start to look at the sequels for, like, Friday the 13th, for, you know, for Halloween, for um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, like, the recognizable faces, just, they really, like, shrink. Um, right. Like... The people you're kind of used to seeing shrink. 
some of the some of the effects work like i said some of the effects work is in, is interesting but like you can tell that like you can tell just like how much cheaper like the sixth one is versus the first one. Oh, of course definitely and you make a great point about the recognizable faces and stuff like if you follow like any of the saw movies and stuff like when you're looking at the first one, it's like, hey, it's Carrie Elways and everything. And then you're slowly at Donnie Wahlberg. Then it's like the girl from Becker. And then, the like, girl from Becker is like the only through line. <laughs> so Right. That's right. Yeah. So like it's, um yeah, you when it comes to that, you're definitely noticing um, a big time shift in the star power of these movies. Mm-hmm. That is, well, except, except for Fast and Furious, which somehow seems to get more stars and um, seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But I, I know that's not horror. I have a, I, I have a theory on that that we're actually going to talk about uh, that, that I'm going to bring up later. Um, okay, I'm, I'm glad you got it. Yeah, but for sure, like that's one of the very few exceptions to, to this particular rule. Um, but also, I, I mean, just kind of touched on it. The, you know, the disappearance of the recognizable faces because of like the abundance of sequels, the villains become more important. And this is probably mm-hmm. the first time in movie history where the villains are the singular most important person in the movie. So, I mean, this is how Robert England becomes a fucking horror icon. Um, right. If, if there weren't a bunch of Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, I, I, I'm i not sure that he has the career that he has. Like, I just, I, I can't, I shouldn't say I can't see it happening, but, like, he's Freddy Krueger. There's literally, mm-hmm. did you, have you ever, did you ever see his Phantom of the Opera? Oh, it's been so long. I have seen it, but it's been a long okay. fucking time. The movie poster for the Phantom of the Opera is Freddy Krueger. Yeah, he's got like a burnt face and stuff. But I mean, like it literally, it literally says he was Freddy. Now he's the Phantom. Really? Yeah. Wow. So okay. like that's how iconic Freddy Krueger is. That in this other movie that he's doing, they're like, let's remind everyone that he's Freddy Krueger because Freddy Krueger's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah 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 no shit so i like i had totally okay. forgotten about that movie and everything like that i remember this was like my video store days like mm-hmm. seeing that movie and stuff exactly yeah, yeah so like this is I, I i mean i don't want to say it's the first time in history but like the 1980s is like the birth of like the horror icons you know being mm-hmm. the bad guys like it, it truly is before even even pre, even prior when you're talking like horror movies it was like the scream queens or the final girls that were kind of the you know, the notable people that came out of it. But once we get firmly into the 1980s, it's the fucking villains are the icons. Oh, of course, without a doubt. And like those villains and stuff like that are still iconic even to this day. Like with October about to start up, we're about to see all of those um, Freddie, Jason, Michael Myers singing Backstreet Boy parodies and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. we're going to get flooded with that content here pretty soon. So, yeah, I mean, all that the rise of the icons where the villains became because that's why you're there. Like you're going there to see Michael Myers, like butcher up people, like all these stories and everything that they tell. I mean, it's you could insert any story you want to. It's it's always like kids. There's probably a relationship thing. There's people who want to do it. But in all reality, you're there for Michael exactly exactly so how how has this affected cinema since then you know so going forward what has changed all right so well like in terms of the studios they want projects where you could basically get a sequel out of it and uh a lot of studio movies now like even like particularly with like disney and animated stuff like you're in it for the first one and you're in it for the trilogy i mm-hmm. mean like unless the whole thing colossally flops like you're 
your movie and those studios are going to get multiple movies and everything like that. Like these are like sequels now are, it's almost like part of the thing. It's like a package deal. It's like franchising is the way to go and stuff. And these sequels and everything and the concept of expanding um, stories beyond one movie has completely like shifted the marketplace. And we're talking like the Marvel movies, for example, and Iron Man three is like still a hit. And that one's like one of the worst ones. And like, you oh, no, Iron Man three is a good uh, one. Iron Man two is the bad one. Oh, Iron Man 2 sucks. Oh, yeah, that one's worse than Iron Man 3. Yeah, that one really, really is garbage. Yeah, yeah. you bet. Oh, yeah, Shane, Shane Black and everything. There's some good stuff in Iron Man 3, but Iron Man 2 is, I can't even believe garbage. I just pay to see that in the theater. Yeah. Garbage. So, like, but, like, you know, and every time a new Iron Man comes out, you're getting new toys, new launch boxes, new clothes, new everything. So, the whole business model in general and, like, the, the idea of being able to create more sequels and more films and more money it's just completely shifted the landscape. I mean, this it's now like I feel that unless you're getting the Oscar bait movie from the studio, which they release, you know, a, a few of them every single year, they want something that they could build a franchise on. Like that's what they want. Where I feel like before it wasn't necessarily what they want. It was a nice little cherry on top that they could do something with. Yes, yes, exactly. And and because of this neat, I mean, like, it's almost like it's almost assured that like, if someone, like you said, if someone is going to be handed a property, they're in it for at least two, if not three movies. And mm-hmm. I think this, I think this sort of Marvel style of storytelling has actually has changed every has changed every movie that we've seen in the past, like 15, 15 to 20 years or so. Um, I mean, it, it starts, it starts in the two thousands and it really kicks up with the way, the way that Marvel is, you know, has their cinematic universe set up that like everything Chema has to be interconnected to. Like mm-hmm. we can't have a goddamn, we can't have a goddamn horror movie, an action movie, a sci-fi movie that isn't, does it, that doesn't have at least some interconnectivity or the possibility of it relating to another movie. Or having the possibility for a sequel, and it's like, it, it, dude, it's fucking ridiculous. Like I don't, I, I can like, I I don't need to know the backstories of everyone. You don't need to like have like a backdoor sort of way for there to be, you know, for this side character to have their own story. Like you don't need to do that with every single thing that you do. Um, mm-hmm. especially when you, especially when like you're making these grand plans for things that just like don't pan out. Um, like that, like John Carter of Mars is supposed to be a trilogy. Um, yep. hard to make a trilogy when your first movie loses $400 million. Um, yep. it almost, almost totally sinks Disney. Um, it, you know, there's that more recently there was that show on Netflix. Oh fuck. Jupiter's. Oh, Jupiter ascending or something like that. N- uh, Jupiter ascending is the Wachowski, the Wachowski's movie. Oh. Jupiter's, oh, I can't remember the fucking name of it, but, um, that that I'll was look supposed it up really quick. Yeah, go ahead. That whatever the fuck it was called, um, that was supposed to be a that was supposed to be like four different shows, and you know no one watched it. So all of the all of the little traps that they were trying to lay out for like for different characters that would have shown up in this show would have shown up in season two would have shown up in this spinoff that spinoff none of those things get met because no one watched the first one. So instead of worrying mm-hmm. about storytelling for the first goddamn one. You're too busy laying out laying out little paths for things that will, will, might not necessarily come to fruition. Right, it's Jupiter's legacy. Thank you. Jupiter's I remember legacy. watching all of 
15 minutes of this show before yeah, no I thanks. totally bailed out. <laughs> yeah. And no, that's a boat. Like what you're hitting on there is a very, very good point. There's all these people that are dreaming big um, and doing things to set up for a future that they might not even have where you really should be planting as much, um, as much seeds as you can in the first season to, you know, to have it be like an actual first season with maybe some type of cliffhanger towards the end. Because when you are um, even watching the show, you're going to notice that there's a lot of things that aren't resolved or there's a lot of things that are mentioned that are just like, where the hell is that coming from? Or you're probably waiting on some type of moment that you would have gotten in episode five of season two, but instead you don't have it. Mm -hmm. And like, that's something that, um, that I think like really, really hurts your show. And especially with this like Jupiter's legacy show where, you know, like, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm, I'm a fan of like the, the comic book stuff getting turned into to movies and everything or TV shows. And this was one of those, um, one of those situations. And like, obviously like I, I didn't end up watching it, but if I was a fan of it and all of a sudden like, Hey, by the way, that now is not getting, now I'm not going to be able to watch it again. Yeah, I would like I kind of feel jaded as a fan with the way that the story was presented, because now you're not you don't even have like a um, like a curiosity. This one season that was just so awesome that they decided to cancel it. You don't even have that. No, exactly. At the very least, like I, I've watched some one season shows and they're, they're usually a little bit older, but I've watched some one season shows. They fit like the season finishes, like the story mm-hmm. that they, you know, at least most of the story that they're telling finishes i have to imagine that a lot of the shows now especially these especially if it's a comic book property if it doesn't get a second movie if it doesn't get a second season or whatever else i have to imagine that those feel very incomplete like i I, i'll not gonna lie i'm probably never gonna watch jupiter's legacy but if i did i have a feeling that it'll it'll feel very unsatisfying because i have a feeling there's like no ending to it oh probably it's probably one giant cliffhanger you know you might get some you might get a death like there'll probably be a character who dies, but that's it. Like it's just this character's death and a bunch of unresolved stuff to pick right. up in the next season. Right, right. That never comes. That never comes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but there, I will say this: there are benefits to it, similar to um, similar, you know, similar idea that from you know from the last segment here. But like, it must be reassuring as a as a filmmaker to know that like, all right, you're getting you're getting three movies. That like, mm-hmm. okay, it, it obviously financial assurance first and foremost for the filmmaker but like knowing that like okay then i can really pour effort into like a complete vision that i don't have to right. there's some choices that i don't have to make um about what to cut out what to you know like the choices become all right so what's important for the first movie what's important what's important for the second movie and if there's a third one what's important for the third movie versus you know thinking about like when you know, to bring this back to john carpenter john carpenter had 90 minutes and like how do we yeah. how do I get everything into this ninety minutes, basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And I gotta tell you, like if you're a, a f- up and coming filmmaker and stuff and you land like a three picture franchise trilogy deal, and let's just say you're like one of these art house guys and the idea of a trilogy is just like so beneath you in every way, shape, or form. Like, guess what, buddy? You could fucking direct that trilogy and then go on and do whatever the hell you want. This is there's no cloud hanging over you like there used to be. And I mean, but like I, like really in all reality, what kind of cloud is that? But mm-hmm. people like Chloe Zhao, for example, 
just won a Best Director Oscar for Nomadland and is going to direct The Eternals and stuff like that. Kenneth Branagh directed a Thor movie and everything. So right. if you are one of these people that, like, you know, I, what I'm basically saying here is just get in and do the work because it will never, ever hurt to have your name in front of a movie that makes a bunch of fucking money and stuff. And <laughs> there's even if, yeah. never anything wrong with that. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with your movie making $500 million at all. Right. Right. And like, even like, and I'm telling you like these, these art house people, like you could always go back to that. That's never, ever, ever going to go away, but you know what is going to go away? your deal for three pictures because somebody else is going to fucking take that because they mm-hmm. know that they could direct a movie and then go back to doing art house shit. And I would, I like, this is sort of, and we won't get too far into this. And I know we've talked about it before. I think that's like the biggest failing of Marvel. Um, you know, they're the way that they do their movies, which Denny Villeneuve calls has called them out on it recently that these are like very much copy paste. And I wish mm-hmm. they would tap more Chloe Zhao's more. Um, who else has a, Someone else has a need to Costa has a Marvel movie mm-hmm. coming out um, or maybe it's a TV show. No, it's a movie. Um, like I wish they had, they're tapping more of these people who work in art house, who work in horror, whatever it is, just different stuff to bring different visions to, to the, you know, to their cinematic universe. Um, they won't do it, but you know, like it's because it ain't broke when your movies are making a billion dollars each. Right, and the closest they probably have is like the the Doctor Strange crew. I think did some horror stuff yeah. before they did Doctor Strange, but like I mean, DC is already jumping on the bandwagon with uh, David S. Sandberg who did um, Shazam and everything yeah. like that. So um, you're right. There's definitely the whole "if it's not broke, don't fix it" uh, type motto. But I like I just got to think at some point in time, like they might make the move to, to hire a little bit more, more Chloe's house out there than, um, you know, than James Wan's or, you yeah. know, like more, more like established, more like Oscar people than action people going forward. Yeah, I, exactly. I can see them going down that path. Exactly. All right, Chema, another quick trivia question here for you before we move on to the next segment. What is the highest grossing movie trilogy? The highest grossing movie trilogy. Okay, so so okay. Um, trying to think of like exactly which be, one's just. And it's got to be a trilogy. It's got to be a trilogy. Okay. Of would it be? Would it be the Iron Man movies? Um, it it would not be anyway. But also, I would also could I would also say that that's not. It's a trilogy, but, but how many it, movies is Iron gotcha. Man in? Seven? <laughs> Eight? Yeah, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. Um, let's see, so it's not going to be the original Star Wars. I'm trying to think of like what recent trilogies there were. I'm running on a blank. Tell me what it is. No no guess? Oh, Triple X? Like, I can't think of like, any of the... <laughs> no. I'm, um, trying to, I'm just like struggling with like the newer trilogies because I It's going to be real obvious. It's going to be real obvious. Lord of the Rings. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That oh, definitely almost, makes a lot of sense. They just missed out on hitting $3 billion worldwide. Uh, so then you probably won't know what the second highest grossing trilogy is. Then, like, um, the the original Star Wars, if we're including all the reruns and stuff? The re- well, the original the Star theater? Wars is now nine movies long. No, okay, so that, okay, so I gotcha. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I, what is it? Dark Knight. 
Dark Knight. Okay, I two point four yeah. billion dollars worldwide. Yeah, that's yeah. I keep forgetting. I, I just watched Dark Knight Rises like uh, about a month ago too, just randomly out of the brew. Yeah, like that one. Like it's weird. Like for as great as and I love the Christopher Nolan Batman's. They seem like they were so fucking long ago. Dude, don't they? They really do. And I just like Heath Ledger's birthday or death day or something like that was not that long ago. And it's still like uh, whenever, you know, this happens a couple times of the year where they celebrate his birthday and the day he passes, we're always seeing like it just flooded with all the Joker stuff. And I look at that and I'm just like, my God, like that was in the 2000s. Like it it just seems like it was forever ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When was when was the first one of that? Was it 2005 or six was the first? 2005 the dark knight was 08 and then dark knight rises was 2012 i think, I think so, so yeah i mean they they covered close you know covered eight years worth of time and, I, and believe me when when they were in production like i was on the internet every day looking for pictures of what heath ledger's joker would look like but it just seems so long ago and there's been so many goddamn superhero movies in between too yeah yeah and quite frankly i i mean i i know i've said this before like Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, those are films that happen mm-hmm. to be about superheroes. Like, and right. we've never really, I think Zack Snyder's gotten the closest to that since since then. Yes, without a doubt. Yeah, one I could not agree with you more on that. Yes, and Nolan had a really, really interesting way of doing it, man. I mean, it's just like he did so much like realism to it. Like I remember watching Batman begins and I'm like, dude, I could fucking do that if I had a bunch of money and stuff. Like there was just, <laughs> it was, it, it was so real. Um, the way that he made it felt and the way that all of the characters looked, I mean like, yeah, of course it was like the dude, Heath Ledger and Joker makeup, but it wasn't like hyper stylized. You know, he wasn't wearing like, um, like crazy outfits and stuff like that. The shit that was the bat too suit wild. didn't like, have nipples on it. Yeah, did no nipple, no nipples on the bat suit and everything. It looked insanely practical. I mean, it's just like I love those movies. Um, I'm, you know, I don't like, you know, I want them to just kind of remain what they are, which is just Nolan's, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy standalone thing, and um, and that's what I'm going to take with me forever, man. Like those are just such a around during my developmental years. You know, mm-hmm. those are like it could easily be my Batman the same way that Michael Keaton is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. All right, let's move on to the next segment here. Rule of threes. Um, unofficial research by me recently shows that horror movies tend to be the most serialized genre of movies. Again, that's unofficial research, but like, hmm. again, when when you go through, like scroll through Netflix or scroll through Amazon when you're looking for a movie, um, you know, you're not going to find a lot of dramas, like big time dramas that have sequels. Not many of them. Um, action no. movies have some sequels. Comedies have some sequels. But really for... For whatever reason, action movies and comedies, they just like they just make five of the same movie over like five years instead of just calling it whatever part two, whatever part three, whatever part four, like they used to mm-hmm. like, with like the police academy movies and shit. Right. Um, they just like clone the premise. So like you have like four movies at once that are like the hangover or you, you have yeah. four movies at once that are like, um, you know, that are like Armageddon. I mm-hmm. I don't know why, but. Like, for whatever reason, they seem immune to just making... I shouldn't say they make, they're immune to it, but they seem to make less sequels. Sci-fi, there are rarely sequels because no one fucking sees sci-fi. So, like, there's... <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it took, what, 40... You know, almost 40 years for a Blade Runner sequel, 
And I'm going to go ahead and guess <laughs> it'll take another 40 years for another one. Of course. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. dude. Definitely. Yeah, that's a really good point about sci-fi. I mean, like, Alien is like that sci-fi horror, but then when Cameron comes around, it, I mean, it's Aliens, which, it's actually, yeah, I mean, like, dude, like, I love Aliens. I, I had a oh, sentimental yeah. connection to Aliens, but it's an action it movie first. so different from the first one. Yeah. yeah. It might as well have just completely reinvented the franchise with that movie. Yep. Well, I mean, that's the movie that franchised it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that franchise. Yeah, that one's the actual one that franchise. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so horror. Why do you think the horror genre is so ripe for sequels? Okay, so I got a couple things, and I and I phrased them like almost kind of like the, the like a Ten Commandments style here. Okay. So like, if if it's a slasher, you can always have him come back and kill new people. If the forces of evil are suppressed, they could always reemerge. If true. it's a place that's haunted new people can always go to that place. If a, if a certain thing has evil powers or connected to something evil, that thing can always find its way into the hands of someone new. And if the idea is strong enough, you could always go back and visit its origins. So it's like the way that horror is. And like, you know, I'll like, I'll use the, um, like the, uh, the slasher kind of thing as an example where like, you know, you're, Coming off and cashing in on these societal fears of from the 60s and 70s, you know, these unstoppable forces and everything, the evil and the stuff, you know, the guy could be right next to you kind of stuff with all the serial killer shit and everything. So you have this character that's supposed to be unbeatable. And what, you're only going to use that for one movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so like and the, and like you know, going back to the Halloween, which is just my, it's like my favorite thing, you know, which we'll get into later, but, uh, you know, you're, you're watching like the way that they decide to like kill Michael Myers in each one of these movies. And each time around it gets progressively more elaborate. The story that you're watching is the exact same thing, but the way that they kill him, it's almost like that's what you're going to the movies for is just to see what happens to Michael in the end. Mm-hmm. So when you establish certain rules with your initial, property your initial screenplay film whatever when you establish certain rules like you can basically do whatever you want as long as it's like within certain rules and you want to know something even if it's like even if a character like maybe we break one one of the rules really who cares because it's horror and like i'm not saying that to like you know devalue horror in any way shape or form but i do believe that horror is one of the more lenient um, genres when it comes to like continuity and rule breaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think I think with horror and just to to and reinforce reinforce that last point with horror, as long as you're resetting the rules, or at least as long as you're establishing the rules within your movie, within that particular movie, it's okay, mm-hmm. even if it breaks some rules from previous movies. Um, mm-hmm. And as long as it lines up with the the mythology in some way shape or form like it doesn't have to be perfect but it's got to be kind of in line i think it doesn't really matter as long as again as long as the rules in that movie are being met and you're just Mm -hmm. having fun with it like who who gives a shit right exactly there's just there's something about the whole who gives a shit element that i think you know basically because what you're doing with the who gives a shit element is you're lending something to the actual movie. So it's like, I guess it's one of these things where um, the horror genre, you're really like up for anything, you know? And, mm-hmm. and what's crazy is like, if when I see 
like I really don't care if they blow Michael Myers to hell and I don't see spread, you know, I don't see a bunch of lungs everywhere. And he just shows up in the next one. Like, like what happens in Halloween two, for example, he burns at the end of the movie and Mm -hmm. stuff. The whole body gets charred. Like, yeah, it's totally cool that he just survived the burn. Like, that's all you need. I don't need an elaborate explanation. (laughs) Hey, he, he, he survived. He's now in bandages. So uh, the fact that, um, you know, what you're going there to see is like the, you're going there to see Michael Myers. Like, to me, like, since I'm such a, like a fan of his, it really doesn't matter. Like what happened to him, as long as he's going to be in the next movie, you know, like, and I know Halloween three is sort of getting Halloween three is sort of experiencing a, um, almost like a justification throughout time. And it's sort of building up this cult stuff and I'm using it lightly. I'll give I'll give you like quick insight on that. It was, there were plans for, there are expansive plans for a Halloween anthology series of movies. Right. And that was going to be yeah. the first one, and it just never took off. In part because they call it... Because it's called Halloween 3, Season of the mm-hmm. Witch, correct? Correct. Instead of just yeah, after- Season of the Witch, a Halloween movie, or whatever. Like, the expectation, especially in... What was it? 1983? 84? It would have 80, been 80... 86? No, I think you're looking at like 82... It's like 82... 80- Two or something. Halloween two and three came out a year apart from one another, right. so it's like 82, 83, 81, 82, something okay. like that. Okay, so let's just, so early eighties, people aren't on the internet knowing things about these movies prior. So mm-hmm. you see the marquee Halloween three season of the witch. Oh, Michael Myers and some witches, perhaps, and then right. you don't get any of it. you don't get any of it. Actually, you don't. There's not even witches. Um, Right. Like, so like it, it, like the reason why that one sort of gets panned is because, and you're right, there has been like a critical reevaluation of it. If it just didn't have the expectations of being a Halloween movie on it, it probably would be an okay horror movie. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Like without a doubt that could stand alone as like, um, silver shamrock colon, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it would be viewed entirely differently. And like, honestly, if they just didn't put three on it, it could have been yeah. a whole lot better and stuff. Or just Halloween season of the witch. But like the, um, like when they, you know, like when I would be disappointed going into the movie theater, not, you know, like back then and, or even like how I was as a kid when yeah. I didn't see Michael Myers. And I, dude, I remember like I was over, I think I was over Carl's house. We're watching this movie and I'm just like waiting for it. Like, okay, what if he's just going to come in at the end, you know, and he just never ever shows up and stuff. Yeah, exa- exactly. But you are, you're hitting on something here that I think is really, really important and pretty, I don't want to say totally unique, but maybe unique in a way that, unique in a way that I don't know. I'll just, I'll just throw it out here and maybe you can back me up on this because there's, there's so many sequels because there is a guaranteed audience for horror movies. Horror movie fans turn out no question for a horror, for a horror movie, whatever their chosen horror movie is, whether it's saw, whether it's Halloween, final destination, whatever. Um, people turn out for those movies because they want, they like, they are thrilled to be there for the fucking ninth installment or whatever it is. Um, it's a guaranteed audience. So why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you cater to that audience? I mean, these are the people that go to, uh, you know, horror conventions 
and stuff. Mm-hmm. That like there's a, like some of these like scream queens and like some of these other horror mavens have had careers for forty years because of like how dedicated this fan base is. I I think you see it a little bit in sci-fi for I, well you definitely see it in sci-fi for sure and like the comic book kind of stuff you you definitely see this stuff but like I think in terms of just purely in terms of movies this is one of the most unique and strong sort of fan bases for any particular genre is the horror genre so that's why you have oh, so many of these sequels I'm glad like I was wondering which one of us is going to bring up the phrase built-in audience first and I remember <laughs> this this phrase from the Danger Beach episode of Entourage where Vince couldn't decide if he wanted to be in Danger Beach or not and stuff so you are so hitting that on the head here. But, like, but real quickly, though, either way, they should call it High Tide. Yeah, High Tide. That's right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> good good callback on that one. Very, very good. So the um, I got to tell you, dude, the whole built-in audience thing, like I, I personally believe that it's there. And like I've seen little rumblings on the Internet like where people try to like really downplay the idea of the built-in audience. But it's there. And like, you know, this audience – might not go to every single horror movie. I mean, it's like fucking impossible, especially with the way movies cost these days. But um, you bet, you bet your ass they are going to turn out for the sequels. I will like, I would like to go see Halloween kills in the theater. I've seen all of the fucking Halloween th- that I've been able to like, because of my age in the theater, starting with Halloween six, like I've seen every single one of them in the theater. I plan on doing that until the end of fucking time. You know, it's just something that I've done. And it's something that I plan on continuing to do. And like, so like if it basically like if, if, uh, you know, if they're playing to people like me, they got me hooked, you know, and I'm going to continue to do it. Mm -hmm. And like um, the way that horror fans are compared to other fans, like you're right, like sci-fi has got fans, but like sci-fi has got more like fans of stuff, you know, like the um, Star Star Trek fans. There's yeah. Star Wars, all that stuff. And, like the comic book movie is like I, I figure that I think that there's like a little bit more solidarity in terms of like going to see Marvel. Like I think Marvel fans would go see DC and vice versa. It may not happen all the time, but I feel that there's more um, there's more potential for Marvel fans to go see DC and DC to go see Marvel than there is for like certain sci-fi people to go see certain sci-fi movies. Sure. You know, there might not be as much crossover. Oh, there's there there are people that are. Um... There are people in the Babylon 5 community that don't like people in the Star Trek community because they feel like Star Trek Deep Space Nine stole the premise of Babylon 5. Yeah. I fucking love it. I love it. <laughs> and I want to see, I wanna see- I want to see them fight like in West Side Story and everything. Yeah, with like the big plastic. Somebody tries to shoot somebody with a plastic phaser would be the I would be the ideal thing of my mm-hmm. life. But mm-hmm. and yeah, and you know something that kind of stuff like that should exist. Okay, like in some way that should exist out there. So like, um, but that, you know, going back to like uh, what I was saying and everything is just um, with horror fans, like it's just fandom unlike any of the other fans. Like if we're talking like how Cleveland Browns fans are like some of the best fans in football, like horror fans are mm-hmm. some of like the best fans in like in movies and stuff like that. And they, you know, they will go see Halloween. And if they're not going to see the new Halloween movie, they're going to see, uh, you know, whatever a 24 horror is out that year or whatever, um, you know, weird, kind of just weird fucking thing that all of a sudden is popular they're going to see those movies exactly chema there is just to put a bow on this particular point there's a reason why 
these like scream queens and villains from like the 70s and 80s horror movies why they still have careers at all or like they have a career in like the in, in the con circuit because there's mm-hmm. guarantee you there's someone that wants an autograph there's someone that wants a picture there's someone that'll pay you to show up so why not yeah right exactly dude like those they're gonna be making money off that forever and stuff and because it's classic like tnt is gonna show halloween probably like five times next month you know Mm -hmm. like and you're gonna see 1970s jamie lee curtis on television in 2021 in an iconic role and stuff and like that may not it may not like you know open the door to a whole new generation of fans and stuff like that. TNT might not do that, but it's going to expose certain people that maybe have not seen the Halloween movies or something. And now they have another person. There's another focal point, Mm -hmm. you know, this now Jamie Lee Curtis in their mind. Exactly. Exactly. And every young boy can feel some type of way about Jamie Lee Curtis all over again. Yeah, exactly. Just wait till they get to true lies. Yep. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's not be too perverted here. Um, but you know, and also just, you know, one more one more point here. I think that, like, I, I think that horror sets that also sets itself, sets itself up so well for sequels is just the, the, ease, it, the ease that you could make these movies with. And I'm not talking about necessarily, mm-hmm. like, the cheap production or whatever. Like, you have, a, you have a template that you basically don't have to alter. And you could just continuously right. go forward with the next one and the next one the next one. Like, it, it is... Like like you said before, like you just kind of switch out the you, you can just switch out one piece of the premise for another one. Um, in your in your commandments, like we can just go we can go to a different place. We can put this guy in a different in a different situation. Mm-hmm. We can have this haunted idol or this, um, you know, this cursed uh, puzzle box find its way into some other situation. Like it's just so easy to transport these things. Like they're very, I would call I would call the premises for horror movies very portable. You can just move them anywhere. Oh, without a doubt, dude, you could take like, let's just go using the um, the place is haunted example. You could take that script like the you know, your your starting point and literally copy the events like almost like word for or like time for time in the script. Like when they arrive at the house, you know, the first scare in the house, the resolution in the end, you could time those out and have those be on the exact same pages. And all you have to do is create some kind of new version of the same conflict. You know, the, the, the father and the son don't have a relationship, you know, the daughter mm-hmm. can't stand her mom or whatever it is like, and, um, and just, you know, recreate the same conflicts and bam, you have, you have haunted, haunted peace tree too, you know, something yep. like that. Yep. It's the same way that the, uh, like the, the puzzle box from Hellraiser just finds its way to different people. Like mm-hmm. the the box finds its way to different people, new set of conflicts, new set of kills, new set of everything, and it's it's really yeah. that simple for for them to do that. Exactly. All right. So, what are the pitfalls to a movie series having three or four or five or six installments? Okay, the big one now is how portable and all this stuff. As great as that is, like all great things, there's another side to that coin, and repetitiveness to me, I think is a big time, like kind of wrench in the four or five installments and stuff like that. And like when you're there, like you're enjoying it. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're watching Halloween, like as I was a kid watching Halloween six in the theater, like hell yeah, I fucking love the hell out of it. I remember that Sunday, that rainy Sunday afternoon specifically. But when you get out of the theater, I don't know, man, you're not, you don't have the same kind of weight that you're carrying as like leaving 
even once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, there's it almost like your experience sort of ends in the theater. And maybe if you get if you get uh, if you manage to get a car ride homes conversation out of Saw 8 or whatever, I mean, you just must be one hell of a conversationalist. But I to me, like, it just kind of feels like you're going in there and you're not leaving with the same kind of you're not leaving with that same kind of feeling as you as you once did. And that is what I attribute that like it's like a fatigue almost, you know, there is some sort of fatigue that sets in and it may not reflect in it may not reflect in the box office numbers. But like I personally believe that somewhere out there, like, you know, outside of like the horror fans, people are really looking at it. It's just like, oh, God damn it. Another Saw movie, you know, Mm -hmm. and and because of that, you're you're not necessarily alienating, but you're like kind of disenfranchising maybe some people who are sick of the same thing over and over again. So I think that like, because of the repetitiveness, there is some element of fatigue in there that is experienced in some way, shape or form. I I don't know where in the equation, but the movie will hit this fatigue no matter what. Yeah. I I put it as the audience becomes numb to Mm -hmm. whatever the, you, you know, it's not, we're not there for the premise necessarily for these horror movies but like i'm becoming numb to the scares you're trying to dole out the the kills you're trying to like sure you 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 have like you have the opportunity in each sequel to to try to do something different or or go a little go a little bit more over the top but at some point like it's so over the top that like i just don't it doesn't have the same effect on me like the saw movies became so i think saw is probably the most interesting case study in this because of how how ridiculously increasingly violent each movie got and mm-hmm. and when you go back and look at the first movie it's not very violent at all yeah I, I like i'm a little foggy on the first one but if we're talking about saw three where the the girl from becker falls into an empty pool full of rusty heroin needles like yeah, I mean, they're definitely going for something here, you know, and I remember like, um, God, I don't even think in the first saw you, you don't even see the guy cut off his limbs. Like, but nope. in the, in the, in the later ones, like, oh, you're getting that front and center and five minutes uninterrupted shot of a guy sawing off his own arm. So, yeah. um, yeah. It, it, and like, in a way, like, I, I feel that that's like a reflection of some of the brilliance behind some of these originals and just how, People like I think that they think that they're trying to top it, but they're really not. They're selling themselves short in some way, shape or form. And it's usually, um, you know, it it would be in a situation involving like a a scare, obviously. But I, I think that when you're opting for the blood scare spectacle effect every single time, it cheapens your product because the originals aren't like that. They always get more extreme. It's not like the original so extreme and then everything else becomes progressively less crazy. <laughs> Which would be a, would be a very interesting way to do a horror franchise to the point right. where like the sixth movie is, is like, is like you, like the, the protagonist and Michael Myers just like talking it out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that would, I'm telling you, you want to talk about a way to hook people into the theater. Michael Myers talking that alone that's your opening weekend. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, so, yeah, there, there's just this. I, I like how you put it. There's fatigue. There's numbness, and I think there's also a point where, like, I, like, I, I, again, I haven't seen past Saw three. 
yeah, I haven't seen past Saw three. I had no interest in that at that point. And I really, I don't, I can't imagine anything that's going to make me interested in, in f- finishing that series off. Um, but like, it's also like, like, but I've seen plenty of clips from the later Saw movies and I'm, I'm almost watching them for comedic effect, right? That like, they're just like, they're almost like funny. Yeah. When, right. when you get to a point, because because the deaths are so over the top, same with like the later Final Destination movies, like the way that they have to contrive people dying is ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. how, like you know, it doesn't even, it, I mean, obviously it's not possible, but it's just like, it's so not possible that like you just kind of like have to sit back and laugh at it. And I think that like, I mean, I don't know, like if, I, I think that some horror movies can kind of get away with this to a degree, as long as they're sort of in on the joke, right? Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, 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 of course. Like, with the Final Destination ones, like, I'm a little foggy on some of the later, like, I I know, like, the first one and everything, and, like, when, for me, when it becomes funny is when, like, we're still relying on certain things, like, oh, God, hey, don't go in there, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then, oh, hey, they go in there, and all of a sudden there's a uh, there's a killer there waiting for them and stuff. When, like, the characters kind of fall for some of these stereotypical, like, kind of horror situations, that's when, like, the humor kicks in for me and stuff. And, like, I'm not going to lie, like, a really, like, just, like, in, um, oh, God, I think it might be Final Destination 2 or 3, there's, like, a racetrack scene and, like, a tire flies off and, like, belts somebody and it takes off their head and stuff. That was funny to me. Like, mm-hmm. and that was just so unexpected and it was just, like, it was kind of funny that, you know, anytime a NASCAR fan getting their head taken off by a tire, like, you're going to get laughs from me any, right. any day of the week on that one. So, um, you're right, at some point in time, like, it definitely – it definitely becomes becomes comical and stuff. Um, that that is for sure. And and if you don't do it the right way, it's not comical in a, in a good way. Whereas this is where my Fast and the Furious point comes in. I think the reason why Fast and the Furious still makes a bajillion dollars every movie, even though those have gotten increasingly ridiculous, is because they are one hundred percent in on the joke. Like mm-hmm. they're in on it. Like to the point where they've even casted new characters. Um, in the recent movies, like just in particular thinking about um, Natalie Emanuel's character is yeah. she's like an audience surrogate. That's just like, you people are fucking insane. I, I don't know how to drive a car. I grew up in a city. I grew up in London. So I don't, I don't even have a driver's license. I don't know how to drive a car. Yeah. You people are fucking crazy. Everything we're doing is stupid. Like, and like, you need that character to, you need that character there to just go like, Hold on, let's check you guys real quick. You do realize how fucking ridiculous this is. And <laughs> yeah. but like so that's the audience surrogate and like the movie's just going like don't worry about it. We know how ridiculous we're being because our characters know how ridiculous we're being. Wink wink. Yeah. You know something glad glad you went there with the Fast and the Furious because there's one of the trailers for the later installments where um, they even, it's like they're self-aware in the trailer and like a submarine pops up from like the Arctic, wherever the hell they are. They're in like yeah. a, a, like an Arctic or I think, Antarctica is, I think or it's like fast, fast seven or fast, fast seven. Fast seven. And they're like, Oh Jesus Christ. They got a submarine now. Yeah. And it's, and it, it just seemed to like, it seemed to give, um, it seemed to give like a little bit of a nod to like internet culture where they're just like, yeah, well, what's going to be next to submarine, you know? And it, it almost feels like I saw that tweet or that online comment that they later answered by putting a submarine in their movie because why the fuck not? The, well, the, the joke was the joke for a while was like, Oh, what are they going to do? Race in space? Guess what? They go to space in this one. 
in a fucking and they and they do it. I, I still haven't seen it yet, but like they do it in a they do it in a very like big winking way. Where like it's not a, it's not a spaceship. It's a fucking car with like rocket boosters on it that's sealed. So like <laughs> it's like the, Fast and the Furious. They're in on the joke, and like they're mm-hmm. clever enough to get in on the joke and also stay ahead of it. Yeah, I love the whole like um, the rock in the trailer. Like I'm gonna beat you like a Cherokee drum, and I heard that in every single one of the fucking trailers. Like they're these guys are just like they know what they're doing here when it mm-hmm. comes to like writing the dialogue and all that stuff. Oh, for and sure, it's, it's fucking great. More power to them, dude. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, Gemma. So, are there are there any series of movies that manage to stay strong through at least three movies? Okay, so like like I said, Saw, I've never gone beyond Saw 3. So like at least to me, Saw held up at least through three movies in my mind. Um, personally, and I've said this before, I have such a connection to the Scream movies. Like I don't care how they age, whatever. I will defend those movies until the day I die. I absolutely love the, um, the Scream movies, personal favorites of mine. Uh, and here's a – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that, that just, that's a good one. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Okay, here's a really interesting one, and I've been, I've been kind of on the low key like obsessed with some recent like Friday the Thirteenth commentary. That's of course sparked two times a year on Friday the Thirteenth when the internet goes nuts for this shit. Mm. But like, I kind of got this feeling that I might go back and enjoy the first three Friday the Thirteenth. And I remember being a kid, and every Friday the Thirteenth, I'd go over more Miles' house and we'd watch a couple like Friday the 13th movies and stuff like that. And I remember young when I was younger being really like kind of jaded by the fact that Jason Voorhees wasn't the killer in the first movie. Um, and then the fact that we don't even get the hockey mask in the second movie and we get it finally in the third movie. I, I just, I felt that was like a little wonky to me. Like I always expected the, well, the hockey because, mask from, yeah, from because you go. saw it, you didn't see it the first yeah. one when it first came out. That's right. That's right. So, like, I have a feeling that if I went back over the Friday the 13th movies, that I would enjoy the first three. Some of the ones in the middle, I'm a little bit skeptical on. Um, I I think, like, I can't, but it seems like Jason Takes Manhattan is when it starts to, like, rekindle my interest a little bit. But I have a feeling that those first three are going to hold up very, very well. Yeah, I got you. You know, that's that's an interesting one. I I, I haven't revisited... I haven't revisited a Friday the 13th movie in a very, very long time. So um, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be curious it's to see if that minute. holds up because the first two really are sort of their the first two really are sort of their own animal before mm-hmm. before the franchise becomes what we think of it. Right, exactly. And dude, I think the last Friday, the 13th movie I watched was the, uh, I think it was the, like the Michael Bay produced one, you know, when he was going around, like kind of revamping the older mm-hmm. horror franchises. And the weird thing about that movie is, uh, I think you're like 25 minutes into it and then you get the opening credits. Really weird timing and pacing of that movie. For oh, sure. interesting. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I haven't, I haven't checked which, which one, so Friday the 13th. That's from like two thousand nine. I want it's somewhere around that time. Yeah, this was like the Texas Chainsaw new ones, the the Jackie Earl Haley like Nightmare on Elm Street, which I think would have been two thousand eleven or twelve, something like that. So gotcha. it was all like in that all in that time period. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. So it makes sense. About approximately thirty years since all those movies uh, kind of got their start. Um, 
It kind of makes sense. But yeah, no, it's um, that's that's actually one that I might have to do at some point in time, because like I I, I, I like always remember the one uh, was it Jason X, Jason in space or whatever. Is that that one? Yeah. yeah so Jason, uh, yes, Jason X is Jason in space. That's yeah. Right. Yes. It, the, like there's they're sort of taking like one of the premises that we talked about like way too far. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, but yeah, like I, it, it, I would be interested to go back and check that one out. So it's a pretty good choice. Um, Chema, I'm going with like a legitimately good choice. I, I, I like a legitimately, I think you'll agree, really strong choice. Uh, Romero's of the dead movies. Oh yeah. Those are classics. I mean, the, yeah, the first, the first three of their own are like classics. I mean, obviously the first one's a classic, but like, I don't think there's mm-hmm. any let up in those first three at all. Um, they're all about something. Um, you know, there's, there's like a, there's underpinnings of, you know, of commentary, satire, you know, whatever in all those movies. But then even then, as mm-hmm. we get like farther forward, um, when you get into the 1980s, you have like the Return of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead 2. Those are more like, those are more parodies and like sort of they're aware of what they're doing. They're aware of the comedy yeah. and the ridiculousness of it. And then we can even go farther forward, like uh, Romero's later installments, like City of the Dead. It's um, it's interesting. It's okay. Not like, I wouldn't call that like a favorite or anything, um, but it, it's interesting. It has something to say. And then you get into like all the remakes. Um, Tom Savini actually remade um, the original Night of the Living Night of the Living Dead, um, and sort of flipped it. So Barbara was like the Barbara was like it, again a self aware sequel where Barbara's like this fucking zombie killing machine. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then you get to Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake, which is fucking fantastic. Um, yeah, it's still again. I, I know we've said it before. I think it's still his best movie. Um, top to bottom, I think it's his best movie, and really, like, it's one of the few, it's one of the few horror sequels that, and horror reboots, that's, like, both certified fresh and has, like, a high, like, critic ratings when you go to, when you go to, like, to Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and those kind of, and those kind of, um, you know, those aggregate sites. Um, even, Mm -hmm. even IMDb has a pretty high ranking, so, like, the, of the dead movies have stayed really strong. I mean, even the, the most recent one, which I don't think it's... I guess it's in universe since it happens in the same universe that um, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead happened in. So I guess Army of the Dead is sort of uh, a cousin, if you will, maybe a spinoff. Um, yeah, I gotcha. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's not like it's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. So we're talking like almost fifty years of these movies being really strong overall. Yeah, and like that is the prominent like brand as far as like zombies and movies and stuff go. Like. It's weird. Like anytime, you know, I mean, it's it's also nuts that like with the with the Walking Dead, like I, there hasn't been like a lot of zombie resurgence on the the big screen. You know, I guess mm-hmm. a lot of it's probably reserved for Walking Dead and stuff. But like that is like the premier like zombie brand. That's the premier you know name or whatever you want to call it. So like yeah, the fact that it's stood the test of time is like quite an achievement. And the fact that you know no other like real zombie movies seem to hold candles to those um is also says something about how great that um that that, that universe franchise is yeah yeah exactly i mean you get a f- you get a few um that really kind of hold their own like 28 days later and uh, yeah 20, that's right 28 28 weeks later is actually a really solid sequel um like i was i was very surprised actually how good it was um because I, I was I was expecting it to really dive more into like more of a special effects laden kind of thing. And it stayed a little, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it did for a little bit, you know, it, it did have its moments there, but it definitely stayed truer to like the point of the, of the first movie. 
Um, Shaun of the Dead is one of the one of the best homages to to Romero that anyone could ever make. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I mean, I think there's there's definitely some uh, there's definitely some interesting um, there's definitely some interesting zombie oh and, and um, Zombie Land just as a general tribute to the to the zombie genre. Like there's some good things out there, but like yeah. when you're talking strength top to bottom. George Romero's originals, and then all the ones that are directly related to George Romero's of the Dead movies are they're they're all very strong. Definitely, and Zombieland was a fun little oh like, yeah you know movie when that came out and stuff. Definitely, yeah. Um, so let's get let's start let's start digging into this, man. What uh, what is your favorite horror series? I already know the answer to this, but go ahead and tell everyone else yeah. out there in case they are unaware. Well, in case you haven't been listening to the episode or heard our John Carpenter expose last year, my favorite um, horror series of all time. It's the, it's the Halloween movies, um, you know, just to kind of quickly recap some of the prior points I've made. It's just this movie that um, I have a lot of connection with Wheeler and Wood and Minigan and everybody like, you know, I mean, I've known Bill and Jason for so long. And it's this franchise and these movies that have kind of been like this unofficial glue of our friendship and stuff, you know, like whenever mm-hmm. Halloween kills come out guaranteed like text message exchange and stuff like that so these movies are they're a little bit more than just the movies to me which is why as a 37 year old man i am psyched up to go to the theater to see halloween kills in its own in my own way i'm very psyched up for it um so those are that's my favorite series dude hands down yeah i got you i got you and and yeah i like that there's like there's a, a personal element to it a friendship element to it That'll kind of always, because they're never going to stop making, they're never going to stop making Halloween movies, like, ever. Never. You're, I mean, like, never. literally, you'll die before those die. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so like, well into your 80s, you you and Wheeler, Menegan and, and, uh, and Wood, the whole crew, you guys can, uh, you guys can be, I don't know, probably then you'll be able to, like, plug into a headset and just, like, watch it together as if you were in the movie theater, but you know what I mean. You'll, you'll always have yeah, that together. Yeah, we're all going to be wearing those masks like in the movie Surrogates, and we'll all be in our homes, but we'll be in the virtual theater together watching <laughs> right. the movie. Sur- surrogates, what a fucking drop. Um, <laughs> yeah. What a drop. Um, I like it, though. I like it. Uh, Chema, I got to go. I got to go with this. I got to go with Alien, the Alien series. And Fantastic. I, I go with it because it combines it combines my love of this um, sort of an sort of an early body horror movie. Um, body horror is like one of my favorite horror genres. With the idea that like, you know, there's I, I'm a I'm a big space nerd. I'm a you know I, I've already mentioned here. I've basically watched like every possible Star Trek property. Um, I'm a big nerd into this stuff. But like where Star Trek is endlessly hopeful, which is always like great to watch. Like it truly is. But you need to pick me up. Like Star Trek will end on a positive note. Um, you more often than not, it ends on a positive note. But like, there's this other side to space that Alien really touches on. Like, sure, there is probably wonderful things out there. How do we know that they don't want to kill us? And right. that's what Alien taps into. This idea that, like, you know, there's there's like a lot of you know, it's tied up with like religious questions and everything else, and questions about humanity and creation. But like you could kind of get to it from its horror standpoint, the fundamentally it's just there's shit out there that we don't know anything about and it could do anything it wants to us um, because we don't know anything about it. Uh, even, even in its more action oriented incarnations like aliens, how we mentioned um, alien resurrection, uh, alien covenant, it still hangs on to the things that make 
the it still hangs on to pieces of the original that made it great you know the the way that the xenomorph is almost like this supernatural being it just can kind of be in mm-hmm. places you know it can kind of be anywhere it wants to be um it, you know all the movies for the most part have a haunted house feel to them um yeah. and obviously the you know the the exploration of how terrifying space can be is like is at the is at the heart of all of them so for me like yeah even even though there's there's more actiony stuff in this franchise the the horror elements still really really hold true through all the movies and that's why i love alien yeah i gotta tell you they couldn't have picked a better like antagonistic force with the xenomorph i mean this is just a a creature that is just loaded up with the twist, man. Like you finally find a way to wound it. Well, guess what? It burns acid that eats through floors of your spaceship mm-hmm. and stuff. And like the scene in the first one, you know, when every, when um, they're leading the, the guys down and keep going further down to find out how much farther the acid is going to drop and stuff. And yeah. then like, you know, not only is there the regular xenomorph, but then there's the queen who's an even bigger, more powerful one. And then like, there's the, the fucking tails and everything like that. I mean, it's just one amazing Hollywood creature that is like sustained, like so much longevity and stuff. I mean, like when your creature is sustaining longevity, that just speaks volumes to like how good, like your property is and how good, like the first movie and second movie and so forth are. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, the, the creature design is it's one of the most iconic in the history of Hollywood um, mm-hmm. I mean like literally you're talking I, I think you're talking like top two or three like I, I can't really like there's yeah. I'm sure there's something you could put above it but like I don't really like offhand I'm not really sure what um, but top three top two or three creature design so much so that even though Ridley Scott wanted to kind of push away from that Ripley storyline in Prometheus, you still have to show something of a xenomorph. And he showed it at the end, like mm-hmm. that, that sort of, pr- that, I don't know, I guess like the proto xenomorph, xenomorph, not a true one that we're, that we're familiar with in the later incarnation or the other incarnations of the, of the, of alien. But like even Ridley Scott's like, well, yeah, I got to show one of these fucking things. <laughs> right. Exactly. It has to come from somewhere. That's yeah. for fucking sure. That's right. And dude, they're actually, um, there's this thing called the Vogue Multicultural Museum. It's on Hollywood Boulevard. It's mm-hmm. one of like the many museums on Hollywood Boulevard. They are doing a big H.R. Giger exhibit starting in February oh, 2022. Nice. I am waiting for the um, – I'm on the email wait list to get tickets and stuff. Like I, I can't wait for this to come to town. Very nice. Yeah, Giger's uh, – man, what a – you just gotta find some find some Giger clips on YouTube. What a fucking strange man. Which is yeah. not anything surprising at all. Right, right. Yeah, I remember our alien deep dive in some of the comments about, oh, he's just giving you like a little kiss and stuff. And yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, he's, he's not really doing that. <laughs> he's, he's so fucking weird. But like, it, it, he's so weird, and you're just like, ah, okay, this this all makes sense. Like this all makes right. sense. Um, so a quick follow-up question here, since we're, we're both hitting on franchises that have more, they're, they're longer than a trilogy. Um, in the case of, in the case of Halloween nine movies, is that correct? So yes, there were, um, wait a minute. It's, we're up to, I think what this is going to be 10 or 11 because there's, there's, there's six, which is the curse. Then you have H2O Halloween resurrection, the two Rob Zombie movies, and then oh, I, the, I, for, I was um, forgetting about the Rob Zombie movies. Thank you. Yeah, I, I believe me, they're the first one's amazing. The second one is very easy to forget about and stuff. He he, he just basically bet on the wrong horse, in my opinion, which is a whole other different conversation. Right. But um, yeah, we're approaching 
Um, I believe this is going to be 10 or 11 uh, with Halloween Kills. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so we're talking franchises with uh, either 10 or 11 movies, and Alien has six movies, and uh, that TV show coming out um, doesn't sound like anytime soon, so I won't even say next year. It might even be 2023. Um, Okay. So obviously ours are stretched longer than a trilogy. However, this is a this is going to kind of go into what we're going to end up doing with this uh, with this particular with this particular uh, fright fest. Um, is there a trilogy inside of this franchise? Okay, so I'm glad you asked that because I'm going to get really fucking technical here. Good, good, good. In my in my own personal opinion, there is not a technical trilogy. We have a two and one act. We have a, uh, okay, so I'll I'll break this down. So Halloween 1 and 2, these movies are basically the starting point of two different Jamie Lee Curtis, well, what would have been potential trilogies. So Mm -hmm. like with Halloween, so Halloween 1, 2, and then there's Halloween H2O, which would have been the first Jamie Lee trilogy, but they brought her back for the opening scare in Halloween resurrection. So you're looking at three points, like one, as far as like, like for our discussion goes, then you would have the Jamie Lee Curtis trilogy point two, which would have been the, the latest Halloween movie. But however, since they've added another movie to this Jamie Lee story, it becomes the Halloween tetralogy tetralogy yeah yes tetralogy then we're so this would be like this is i guess would be the closest thing to a trilogy but the focal point character does not make it through the entire third movie in fact isn't even in it for more than just the opening scare and this is the jamie lloyd trilogy within the halloween movies and what the jamie lloyd trilogy is and once they realized that Halloween three totally was not what everybody expected, mm. they decided to bring Michael Myers back and Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers. So in order to glue the franchise to the first two movies, because in the second movie, we found out that Jamie Lee Curtis is Michael Myers's sister. Mm-hmm. They gave Jamie Lee Curtis a daughter and then Jamie Lee died in like a car accident. So there's this, her daughter is now living with her adopted family in basically like in Haddonfield, Illinois, thus re kind of starting the uh, Michael Myers element of the franchise. So she, Jamie Lloyd as a girl who also grows up to be, when I say grows up just a couple years down the road, she is the sister in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. It's um, Mm -hmm. Sue Ellen's sister. It's like Christina Applegate's sister. So um, just that's who the actress is. And then um, this Jamie Lloyd character comes back in Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, Halloween number six, but she's only in it in the opening scare. So she's phased out by about 10 or 15 minutes into the movie, but her son who later on gets adopted by introducing Paul Rudd, um, which actually Halloween came out after Clueless by a couple months. So like, but they, they, it says starring and introducing Paul Rudd, the baby gets adopted by him. So in a way, like I, I'm not too comfortable by labeling it the trilogy as for what we've discussed, like throughout the duration of this episode, but that the Jamie Lloyd 2.1 movies 
would be the closest thing um, that they had to a legitimate trilogy within the Halloween series. See, I, I mean, you know more about this than I do, so like, I can't, I can't, I can't like really argue this with you. Um, but I see, I see it as one, two, and then 2018's Halloween are the trilogy. Okay, yeah. So that would be like, yeah. So that is the Jamie Lee trilogy point two which will become a tetralogy in a couple weeks when they release the new movie. And well, and the only reason why I don't include Halloween H2O is because it's a total retconning of everything that happened before. Yeah. So like that one came out, like that, that is just a, that, that one is the anomaly one to me. Halloween resurrection makes much more sense because there's all this, um, internet kind of stuff like in Halloween resurrection that was, that was very popular at the time in terms of like social media and people broadcasting their lives. So there's a little bit more relevance to the time in Halloween resurrection, though it's a a Mm -hmm. far inferior movie, but Halloween uh, seven H2O, this is clearly just capitalizing on the anniversary. I mean, like that was, that's the entire thing, just 20 years down the road, all the press and everything that came out, the cover of entertainment weekly is like, Oh, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. She still looks good. And yeah, we're going to get Josh Hardnett and Michelle Williams and stuff. The, the new kind of like up and coming teen actors at the time and stuff in this movie, like Joseph Gordon Levitt is in that movie. Uh, very oh, briefly, fuck, that's right. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just in the beginning. Yeah. So like, um, you know, they were totally like doing some, some retcon stuff. And I, you know, they were going for like this anniversary movie, which I think would have like worked had they not brought Jamie Lee back for the 2018 one. I, I think that Halloween H2O has not aged all that well. And by throwing the 2018 Halloween into the mix, it further eclipses um, H2O. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. I'm just looking at the cast now. How fucking ridiculous to have Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. Josh Hartnett, her <laughs> Janet Lee, Michelle Williams, yep. LL Cool J, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the same movie. Yeah, LL Cool J is a security guard. That's right. Yeah, and I mean, this this was just like, I guess like out of all the Halloween movies, this was the one that I felt was the most like for the money oh, of, cash the, grab. of the movies and cash stuff. Grab. Total, total fucking cash grab. Like uh, Halloween six, which a lot of people have really like shit on over the course of time to me has infinitely more relevance than Halloween seven and eight. So, like, mm. it's just, it just means so much more to me. I mean, that's also the first Halloween movie I saw in the theater um, ever. So like, I just like Halloween seven is just kind of like a mess. And while I, I did enjoy the 2018 one, there was a lot of stuff in there that I wanted to reach into the screen and start strangling people. Like I, I was in the theater too. And like, I'd had like a couple drinks and like when the um, opening characters are podcasters about American crime, looking mm-hmm. at interviews, I could have like, I seriously do. Those were like Arthur Fish clenching moments and stuff. Like I was like, Oh my God. And it was acted out like so horribly too. It's just like, just get through this whole thing. Just, just end it now. Just kill these people so we can move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I got, yeah, I got you. I, it, you have, you have no idea as, as two people that sit here and do this on a regular basis, you have no idea how fucking angry I get when I see podcasting pop up in TV shows and movies. 
Yeah. Um, like when it was the focal point of Tusk, I was pissed. I was so mad about this. I was just like, oh, yeah, Kevin Smith does a lot of podcasts. So he's going to make a movie about people who podcast and stuff. And it's um, it's weird because it's like it's not something it, it almost seems like kind of annoying when um, I see it on screen and stuff like I, that. I, it's just it yeah, bugs me. I, it's one of those things I always think about. I, uh, here's how I think about it. I, I think about like the big fat cigar chomping executive going sitting mm-hmm. there at his desk going, oh, "What are the kids like? The kids like them podcasts. Put a bunch of podcasts in movies. Doesn't matter what it is. Just put a podcast in the movie. Kids like podcasts. Like that's yep. exactly how the conversation went. You know that's exactly how the conversation went. Word for fucking word. That's exactly right. And I, I feel that like if you, I know that like um podcasts are going to be around for a while. So it's not like these movies are being dated by the fact that there's a podcast in it. But I think since it's such a, such a prominent thing today that like, I don't want to go to the movies to see that shit. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, so like it's, um th- that's pretty much how I feel about it, dude. And it, it like, when I saw that this is the direction that they were going, which I somehow managed to avoid it until I got into the theater, like it just hit me. And I was like, it felt like really on the nose. It felt like they were like such a victim of the times and stuff like that. And the way that this story was executed, I couldn't be any more right. It would be, it would be very interesting if one of these, one of these movies or TV shows actually utilized a podcast as a part of it. Like mm-hmm. there was bonus content or maybe there's like a side story or something that unfolded via podcast, but they don't do anything yeah. with it other than mention that there's like a podcast involved. That's exactly correct. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, like certain offshoots, like audio offshoots involving that's genius. That is, that is a fucking next level type thing, but no, we're going to have uh, Scotty. He has a podcast that nobody listens to. And he also likes a girl from his class that, uh, you know, doesn't even know that he exists. So how is he going to use podcasting to get the woman of his dreams? Like it's, it's I don't know, man. It's just, Terrible. yeah, can't, it's bad. It's bad. You heard it here first. Don't listen to podcasts. Um, that's exactly right. That's, Go to that's the, radio, the lesson where you should take out of this whole episode. Um, yeah, but uh, anyway, I get back on track here because I could, I could, I could rail on that kind of shit all day long. It's so annoying. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I like your. Tr- I, this is, yeah, I like your choices there, and I, I that's actually why I brought it up. I was just kind of curious because like I'm. I'm un- like I have like this very hazy spot with like all the middle Halloween movies, um, but mm-hmm. for I don't know I'm one of those people who remembers the beginnings and ends of things. So like I know I've seen I think I've seen all the all the Halloween movies. I just have significant haziness with the middle ones. So uh, I knew oh, you'd have yeah, a better answer. There. Those are the ones to be hazy over. Um, I, I will tell you, those are the ones to kind of haze over. Like, I've just seen them all so many goddamn times. Like, it's it's still, like, sort of fresh in my mind yeah, and yeah. stuff. Like, I I see the um, – one of the guys from Halloween 5 ended up being in Dazed and Confused. He was one of the football players. And, like, I mean, I can still see, like, you know, parts of the, the, the movie and stuff involving him even today. Mm. Gotcha. Chema, I, I do think – now, there's obviously an Alien trilogy already but mm-hmm. i think inside inside the alien franchise there's actually a different alien trilogy and okay. I'll, I'll give it to you in order it's prometheus alien mm-hmm. and then alien 3 is Ooh. sort of the most consistent through line when you when you talk about this particular franchise mentioned it before i'm disqualifying aliens or alien 2 
Um, I'm disqualifying that because it's it's a it's a horror action movie or an action horror movie with right. the action definitely coming first, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's the centerpiece. We got some space marines. We got some nuclear weapons. Um, we have Ripley wearing that fucking awesome like suit of uh, like that that uh, lifting suit to fucking battle the queen alien. Like it's awesome. Hell like, yeah. It's, it's oh, an yeah. action. It's an action movie. Um, when you get to and you know Prometheus is an action movie, but I think it's an action movie that would be much, much more in line with the ideas that they're kind of espousing in Alien, the idea mm-hmm. of you know of this sort of this alien that is, you know, essentially a perfect being, the, you know, the creation of this alien, the way that even some of the characters, the way that uh, the David character is very similar to the Ash character, um, you know, the 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 AI, the the right. uh, the androids. How, how they almost have complete reverence for the xenomorph, for the alien creature, and complete disregard for the humans that they're on board with. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of echoing similarities there, and obviously they're they're tied very directly together as Prometheus precedes what happens in Alien to some degree, not not exactly overlap necessarily, but does precede it. Um, but I, but I think those two movies are kind of dealing with the same things. You know the again the the exploration of of, of uh, like these religious meanings, the exploration of humanity, the exploration of space. Um, also, probably unintentionally, at least in the first one, unintentionally, um, they both deal with the consequences of capitalism. Um, yeah. I mean, these the, Wayland Yutani basically sends all these like high level <coughs> scientists out to space to die because mm-hmm. it's going to make them more money. Um, right. Then when you get to Alien Three, you have you have a setting that is extremely similar to the first one. Um, this sort of haunted house feeling, the confined spaces. Um, and you have a sort of inverse effect where, where Ripley is, where, where it was the alien hunting everyone else. And obviously the alien is still hunting everyone else in this space prison um, or this prison on a, on a planet or a moon or something. Um, the alien is still hunting them, but like also everyone is alien to each other. Right, like these people are isolated right. most of the day. Aliens a new or Ripley's a newcomer to them. Everyone's kind of an alien to each other. Everyone's a threat to each other. So it's it's sort of it's sort of taking the premise of the original Alien, where like they had to stick together, and, and they still have to stick together, and they learn that in Alien Three. But like the initial setup is that like everyone is sort of suspecting and suspicious of each other, unlike in the first one. So it's kind of a mirror in that way. So for me, Prometheus, Alien, Alien Three are like the our, our trilogy. Oh wow, dude! I really, really like that, and you're definitely right about the um, the connections between Alien Pro- and Prometheus and the uh, exploration of our like humanity and all of that stuff, and um, the way that you know, like kind of like the engineers and everything like that, and Prometheus and stuff like that, and um, the sort of carrying over some of that with the space jockey in Alien mm-hmm. and stuff like that, um, going into these questions of creation and all this like uh, religious stuff and everything like that. And then, like, Alien 3, to put that at the end of your trilogy, I actually think culminates the first two very, very well. Um, it puts a nice little bow on those in a way that, um, you know, the like, you know, kind of like removing aliens from the equation, I think, would do nicely. And in a, in a way, when you get to Alien 3, it's almost kind of like you've reached the, the final line of, like, of where that story could go between mm-hmm. from Prometheus to alien to alien three and stuff. And the fact that you're in a, you're in this haunted house type setting, but it's still drastically far away from 
where you began in Prometheus, and it's even far away from where we are in the um, the first Alien movie. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see like this kind of natural progression throughout those three movies. And um, the idea of everybody being alien to one another, I hadn't thought about that. And it is definitely like, it's, it mirrors the first one in so many ways. And like, I even like how in this trilogy, the xenomorph itself evolves. It starts off at the protomorph to the xenomorph to the like dog-legged yeah. more creature-like yeah. xenomorph and everything. So even the xenomorph has an arc to a certain degree and becomes more animal like um as the story progresses so i think that this is a really interesting way and i had never thought about it like that before so that's really interesting to me i yeah there see there there you go chum i'm 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 uh i'm spreading the gospel i i i think alien 3 is a little bit under underrated um mm-hmm. I, like i would love to it's david fincher's first movie um I would. It had a lot of studio inter- interference, and you know, one of the one of those kind of nightmare stories where like they, they like, well, we got to make a toy, so you got to you got to do something like this way. Right. It's just like he's like, um, well, I'd rather tell I'd rather tell a story about these scary fucking space rapists uh, locked up yeah. with Ripley and a bunch of aliens. Like, I, I think that's a more in- imp- compelling story than worrying about the design of the alien because we want to sell toys. But, um, um, <clears throat> but like, I think Alien Three is a little bit underrated, and I think. It's one of those movies, like, not that he would, not that I think most directors would choose not to go back and do things over again, but boy, would I love to see what David Fincher now would do with an alien, with an alien movie. Yeah, you know, I watched it um, in the pandemic. The alien movies found themselves on Amazon, like the, the 4K restoration is on there now. But uh, somewhere in the pandemic, they brought in Aliens, Alien 3, and like um, the mm-hmm. Resurrection stuff. So I, I caught Alien 3, and it had been it had been a long time since I had seen Alien 3 and stuff and I gotta tell you very very underrated really cool cast of young Charles Dance and everything Mm -hmm. and what was interesting to me the second time around like when just however many times around the more recent time around is that like how clear this how clear this dire situation i mean like there's literally like no questions that I had about it like the whole thing was presented very very nicely and like you know um the uh the twist at the end with like um lance heinrich or whatever coming in bishop like you know the the human that bishop is modeled off of yeah. or whatever was wayland was wayland an, himself supposed supposed to be yes that's right that's right so like i i really loved that and it was a much more enjoyable time watching it um, within the last couple of years. I, and it just proves how underrated that movie yeah, was. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's just very, and I think, and I think it's mostly because of this wild success of aliens and what James Cameron did with that, that you get to alien three and you're like, what the fuck is this? A space prison with a bunch of men who are rapists. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a total left hand turn from what Cameron yeah. did with the the franchise and stuff. And I got to tell you, you know, when it comes to that whole toy discussion, they really like, you know, that's a really fucking screwing Fincher over because like I was I was playing with and collecting alien toys around that time, mm-hmm. and they made a bunch of alien toys that had no appearances in the movie whatsoever. Yep, they did. Okay, Correct. They even, I have some of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
they had one that um it was supposed to be like the alien you play with when you're in like the bathtub because like that's what kids want when they're younger yep. and it was um and it was a, a xenomorph that had like a rubber head so you could dunk the head in like a glass of water or the bathtub fill it up with water and then you know press on the head and spray water out of it and i'm just like where was this in the movie right like where was right. where was this like it was it was shorter and heavier like a little more stocky too i was like where was this like where was like the yellow aliens and stuff like i i mean if you're just uh if you're concerned about like continuity and toys and all that stuff like why the hell did you just make up a whole bunch of xenomorphs that are non-existent yeah i know i it's i know that's it's one again it's this is one of those classic movies where um the studio the studio needs overrode what the you know the director's vision and i'm sure like Mm -hmm. I, i don't know i'm not saying that like fincher would have had some masterpiece otherwise it's just you can you can just like see like where the the huge disconnect in between the marketing and what the movie is like right had fincher had everything go his way how much larger that disconnect probably would have been oh definitely dude we need to release the fincher cut the fincher cut that's right (laughs) good lord that (laughs) everyone's got a cut of a movie now i i swear to god every every director is gonna that's gonna be the go-to for every every bereaved director now that like well if they went with my original vision wink wink right 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 yeah dude i'm telling you david ayer has released so many photographs from his cut of the suicide squad i might know what happens from it just from the photos right right and you know what? I'm not going to lie, though. I don't think David Ayer wrote or, you know, wrote and directed a significantly better movie, just a different movie. Right. Yeah. I'm not expecting I'm not expecting the difference between the Snyder cut and the Whedon cut with mm-hmm. the Ayer and uh, right. with the Ayer cut and Suicide Squad. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Chema, so is there a single horror movie property you're surprised never even got like a sequel, let alone a full trilogy? Yeah, dude. So like I was I was trying to think of like what would be a really great answer and i was like picking trying to pick movies that i've actually seen because i i looked up a couple of these lists and like yeah i didn't really want to talk about the sixth sense and like yeah the shining finally got it i'm not even really want to call dr sleep the sequel but for hollywood's sake that is what dr sleep is yeah and um so i was like trying to figure out like you know and i landed believe it or not like one of the last things i added to the outline i am so surprised that the craft never got anything beyond the first movie and this came out in 1996 so we are like this was scream year um i know what you did last summer came out like the uh, the, the following year so this would have been like prime like prime time to have like a, to, to have a movie for for sequels and stuff because scream got sequels so did i know what you did last summer and like a lot of these like you know kind of teeny comedies from like our um you know, what would be Jesus Christ going into middle school, into high school years, all, all seem to get sequels. And like the, um, you know, it, it was witches and stuff. It was something that's a little bit different. Um, I thought that like the ideas of witches being in high school was God just add new witches. You know, they, it could be the same high school and there was like a, a bookstore that sold witch, um, witch and Wicca items and stuff like that. in the craft I was just like, keep the bookstore and just bring new people in there. So, um, this was one that like it, it kind of shocked me that they didn't really go any farther with. I I'm gonna blow your spot up a little bit, but you're still not wrong. Um, okay. Because there was a soft reboot slash sequel last year. 
It's a TV show or something, right? No, it was a movie. It's called The Craft Legacy. Oh, but it, it okay. It it made two million dollars. Um, it was VOD and it was VOD only because it was during the pandemic. So oh, okay, gotcha. It was VOD only and like only in like a couple of international markets because they knew they had a fucking turd on their hands. It's starring so, a bunch of girls you've never heard of, directed by someone you've never heard of, um, and it's and it's sort of. Like I said, it's 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 trying to do that thing where it straddles, where it straddles, um, like like the like the Suicide Squad is sort of a sequel, sort of a reboot. It's trying to do that too. Mm-hmm. So like, okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I would even. I think. I think you still win this. I think this argument still holds water because I don't think it's a sequel. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, like this would this would have been like, and I'll get into my, my quick elevator pitch here, but like this is really easy. Like in the second one, just new witches come to town, or like new mm-hmm. uh, cast of characters decide to go to the bookstore and develop an interest in um, in like the Wicca and the the witch stuff that eventually goes out of spirals out of control. And then for the third one, you just bring Faruja Balk back. She got out of the mental institution and now she's on like a revenge kick and she's raising hell in her town and stuff. So like, and dude, I got to tell you, like I was reading the Wikipedia page before, um, before we started recording, there is some just dark as fuck shit in this movie that like had just completely escaped my mind when I was like writing down like the answer to this. And um, for a teen comedy at that time, like it's a little bit darker than, um, then scream and some of the other like I know oh, what you for did sure. last summer like they really get into some crazy shit here so I just thought like you know as you know and definitely um, getting uh, more of a, a female presence in in the horror world and stuff like that especially on the big screen like I, I'm just kind of surprised that they really didn't go f- forward with this in any way shape or form yeah it, it, and actually this this is a really solid choice and it this is really surprising because even before even before knowing that there's like there was a, there was a craft the craft sequel the, the what's it called the craft legacy before even before knowing that i just assumed that there were like multiples of this because this straight to video like a, releases or something like yeah this yeah, just seems I, like such a slam dunk you have <clears throat> you're talking about especially if this was a 96 98 96 right 96 96 yep. you're talking about robin tooney and nev campbell sort of at the at their like at their height of their young twenties, kind of final girl power, um, right. Fer- Feruza Bulk at her like at her best. I'm not gonna lie; I don't know who Rachel True is. Like, if she did anything really beyond this, but half baked and a couple other things. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm kind of now I'm kind of picturing her, but yeah. But like this, you this seems like a slam dunk for at least for at least a sequel, especially a movie that like I I feel like this. Oh gosh, I feel like I feel like this movie made like 60, 70 million dollars. Like, you know, like a, a teen a teen witch horror witch comedy made like 70 million dollars mm-hmm. or something. Like that just seems like a slam dunk, especially at this point in time where we were kind of in the 90s, obviously we we're we put some space in between the 80s and like how many horror sequels there were, there were, but we were just about to start to rev up again and have a bunch of horror sequels right. start to come into prominence again. I can't believe that in 1998, especially post-Scream, that someone didn't go like, fuck, we got to get Nev Campbell back for another craft. Yeah, it's like it seemed like something that was so lined up for success. And I remember MTV was really behind this movie. There was a lot of marketing coming from MTV to try to, like, you know, get the younger people and stuff like that into the theater. And 
And like, I mean, I saw it in the theater. I, I enjoyed the movie in the theater. I enjoyed the, would enjoy the movie still even to this day. And like for that particular time period where like, you know, you're right. Like there were sequels, like the movies that came out around this time were movies that got sequels made in subsequent years that followed. And it just seemed like this would have been totally ripe for some kind of continuation, even if it was like the cruel intentions to straight to DVD kind of movie, but it just never happened. Yeah. That's a shocker, man. That's a shocker. It's, it's, and again, especially just thinking of like the, uh, you know, no disrespect to Rachel True, but like the, the other three were sort of like, they were already names at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah. or I should say they weren't all names at this point in time, but like this movie definitely made them names. Um, it just, it just, I don't know. It's just shocking to me that that it's a really good choice because it is really shocking to me that this didn't become something that didn't become something bigger than what, than what it was definitely dude yeah like that's like it's another one of those movies that just totally holds a like a special place in my heart and everything i think i saw it in like the movie theater and like great northern and stuff and like fucking skeet Ulrich, christine taylor brecken meyer is in the movie mm-hmm. uh i mean it's just like there's recognizable faces here and it just you know like made money and then just kind of fizzled out it's weird that's very bizarre and a very good choice uh was that the was that the full ele- elevator pitch by the way that is the yes that's the full elevator pitch yep the new girls and then uh, nancy comes back very very good choice um so i i i was kind of i was kind of doing the same kind of search around for you it's same kind of search for this too and i i landed on one that i i was so sure the re i didn't pick it right away because i was so sure that there was at least one vod sequel to this um, but I guess not. And that's the faculty. Um, oh my God. 1998's wow. the faculty, uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez. And this, this is why this shocks me because again, I, I could have sworn that there was at least one sequel to this, but we're talking Robert Rodriguez, the director screenplay by Kevin Williamson, um, mm-hmm. starring Elijah Wood, Josh Hartnett, Jordana Brewster, Clea Duvall, Laura Harris, Sean Hattesey, Famke Jensen, Piper Laurie, Baby Newworth, Robert Patrick, Raymond, Usher Raymond, Usher's in this movie, John Stewart. How do you get this fucking cast together and not figure out a way to squeeze a sequel out of this? I know, like, there, you would think that, like, one or two of those people wouldn't mind coming back for a second one. It's, it's incredible. Like, this, this really shocks me, and, uh, like, again... I, for some reason, I even had it in my head that there was like a poster for it, and I was like, when I when I came back across this movie, I'm like, really? There's just I'm like, no, that's not right. And I was looking for I was looking for posters for the faculty too, and of course nothing exists. And I, I so apparently I just like um, it's like the fucking Mandela like a personal Mandela effect, where I just like I, I just <laughs> like totally imagined a second movie because like this seems like a slam dunk. I'm sitting on the Wikipedia page right now. Um, you know, obviously it's like a cult movie at this point for, especially for people our age. Um, oh yeah. But this movie made $63 million. I mean, in, in 1990s dollars. No yeah. Less. Like that's how, how on earth, unless the movie cost 50, how on earth did you not, did, um, oh, let me scroll down here, budget of $15 million and it made 63. How on earth did you not just make a second one? That is such a good fucking question. And I remember this movie not being shit on at the time. Like I remember like people going to this and enjoying this movie and stuff. And the fact that they didn't get like at least the VOD straight to DVD sequel is like, that's really crazy because 
honestly, like when you said the faculty, the first thing that came to my mind is like, I'm like, I wonder, did he maybe miss one of those straight to deep? Because it just seemed like something mm-hmm. that would have made a sequel out of. But the fact that it didn't, which I am now learning for the first time, is it does kind of shock me, dude. And I, I remember this movie being like around when we were, this would have been 99 or something like 98, that. 98, 99. 90, 98. Came, out, came out Christmas Day. or uh, Yeah, came out Christmas Day, 98. Yeah, so like we were we were freshmen in high school and stuff, and like I remembered this movie like being around and stuff, and uh, the fact that there was no sequel made, that's very interesting to me. I, and, like, oh, like they have and, all the room in the world for it. I know, I know. There's 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 an, and I'll, I'll get to the elevator pitch here in a second because there's so there's much there's easy room for a sequel and a, and a trilogy. I uh, also forgot Salma Hayek, Lewis Black, and Young Danny Masterson are also in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking crazy. My God, that's a, yeah, that's a cast right there. Wow, Un- unbelievable. But uh, so the elevator pitch for this. So we follow. So obviously the events happen. This alien parasite. Um, you know, eventually they get rid of it. Um, so we follow some of the kids from this high school. It's supposed to be in Ohio, actually. Which for some reason, always escaped me. Even like until like today, I didn't realize that. Um, mm-hmm. We follow some of the kids to college. So maybe because Elijah Wood kills like the queen parasite. The other parasites just go dormant. So, like, the kids that have them still have them, but they're just not yeah. active. New queen lands on our planet. New outbreak of alien parasites in college. Third movie, we just we just advance until, like, they're adults. Um, mm-hmm. We can figure out how to change up the scenario, but, like, where in the adult world, in, the, in their adult lives, in their adult world, um, you know, an outbreak starts in, like, their place of work. Um, I kind of see it as... You can kind of use the settings to make commentary, like on institutional learning. Uh, I don't know Title IX rights in education. When you get to when you get to stuff about the workplace, you can talk about like workplace harassment, consumerism, and how capitalism are destroying the workers that are literally keeping the machine running. Um, there's mm-hmm. like I think there's an easy way to expand this and give it a little bit of meaning and still make it like fun because I I distinctly remember I haven't seen the faculty in a little while, but I just distinctly remember it being a fun movie. So. Go for it. I mean, I, I just can't believe... I just can't believe that this hasn't... There isn't one VOD of this movie somewhere. Yeah, like how... Even in the the world of remo- reboots and remakes, like how is this not even on the discussion? Like this whole reboot could basically write itself. You know, and the characters are still there. It's still prominent character archetypes that are around today oh, and stuff. That's... Abs- absolutely. You, you reboot... You want a quick... Here's the quick reboot idea. You, again, take the kind of... The 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 hot actors from ages you know seventeen to about twenty two ish as your high school kids you know or maybe well in some cases like twenty six twenty seven twenty eight ish um, as long as they look young enough as your high school students and then you dude you just have cameos from Hartnett from Elijah Wood mm-hmm. from from some of the original cast members as as the you know as the teachers or whatever um, you just drop right. in some cameos you got your reboot boom seventy eighty million dollars guaranteed. Yeah, dude, it's like one of those things where like, um, oh, you guys have been here. Before. We've been through this before, you know, like and there's a big like monologue from Elijah Wood about everything that happened prior and what they did to stop it and stuff like. Yeah, that is definitely that's the reboot right there. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah, that's dude. I, come on, Hollywood. I, I, I can't believe no one's listening to this podcast because you and I are just spitting out some good ideas. Yeah, I'm telling you, wait, to, wait a couple weeks and then all of a sudden it'll be like, hey, by the way, uh Try to think of Glenn Howerton has signed on to do the uh, the faculty, the faculty remake. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, yeah, that'd be fucking yeah, that'd be hilarious. That would actually that would be one of those that would be one of those things that would kind of like 
I'd kind of like go, so is like someone really important sitting here listening to our podcast and just not telling us because that's interesting. <laughs> All yeah. right. Believe me. Yeah. Just wait for it. I'm telling you, just wait for it. It'll happen. <laughs> There's, um, do you know who, do you know who Matt Singer is? The name strikes a bell, but I can't put a face to it. Right he's now. Uh, like an entertainment critic for various outlets, and he's he he appears on just about every entertainment podcast. Um, and and like a, I think he's like on like some of the morning, like some of like the CBS morning weekend shows too, talking about movies. Okay. But movie critic basically, and he like I swear to God, he wills things into existence. He'll like. He has like every now and then, like he'll like repost like a trail of tweets that started like back in 2015 about a movie, and then by mm-hmm. like he started something about a few years ago. He started tweeting about this movie called Ben Affleck movie called The Accountant. Yeah, and there's okay. an Accountant two coming out, right? Yeah, started tweeting about like four years ago about like like about starting some kind of grassroots campaign to get The Accountant two like as this joke. And like he has this long string of tweets that started back four year or five years ago now, and or like whenever a couple years like it's basically the year after the movie came out, and like the the tweets all progressed to him like announcing that hey they're making the accountant too. <laughs> That's amazing. That he, is totally amazing. But like he, when you he think just about it, things like, into existence. Yeah, well, like well, people like that who like okay, so he's got a lot of Twitter followers and everything. So if somebody with if somebody with prominence with a voice puts something like that on Twitter that then other people can run with, like that's how these like discussions start and everything like that. You know, it's um it has to begin somewhere, and like I, I off the top of my head, I'm like struggling to think of examples, but for some reason, like I feel that I could name a couple of situations very similar to like what you just described where like something happens and then all of a sudden there's like, uh, there's a movie that's about to be made or somebody talks about like Bill and Ted three. And then all of a sudden Bill and Ted three is now finally happening after all this time and stuff. I, I just feel that like somewhere these discussions get started and like, they are either made by the right people who have enough of a, of a like a reach to get that message out, or they just start to bubble and then ferment, and then somebody picks it up, and it's just like, hey, you know, I saw this on Twitter. So, what do you guys think about Bill and Ted Three? We love Bill and Ted Three. How has nobody ever thought about this? Like that, it's got to be something like that. I I'm, I think it's just the assistants of the cigar chomping executives are just like in like a night like he calls a brainstorming session and they just like bring something from Twitter. And he's like, great. If it's on the Twitter, the kids love the Twitter. Make it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh my God. For no reason, this is trending. Let's just make this shit, you know? All right. Greta Thunberg. We need a bunch of characters who are exactly like Greta Thunberg. The kids love her, right? They love the climate. Let's make it happen. Kids love the Greta. Kids love Greta. Um, They love her. (laughs) God. I like, I, I really, I really, now that like, I always think about the cigar chomping executive. I really, really hope that one day I can I can fill that role in a movie, to just sit behind a desk and be an asshole, and just mm-hmm. like basically repeat things that are very obvious. Like that's what I that's like the only acting role I ever want to do. Dude, I will I will make a point of myself to write a character like that that you could play one of these days. Uh, all right, perfect, perfect. <laughs> all right, uh, let's let's get into our la- second to last little bit here. Um, Chema, I can't quit him. We got to talk a little Lindelof here, because um, it's never a bad thing to talk about more Damon Lindelof. But 
No. <laughs> Damon Lindelof hasn't really been deeply involved in horror. Um, we kind of, you know, we talked about how his involvement in Prometheus was kind of, um, you know, he participated, I suppose. And like, there's some ideas that, that uh, made it into the script, but it's not really like his, it's not really like his fingerprints are all over Prometheus. And he has like uh, some, he's a product, you know, he's, a, he's an executive producer um, on World War Z. So like, he's barely kind of involved in that. And I would, I would say World War Z barely qualifies as a horror movie. Um, right. So Damon Lindelof, not really, not really that involved in horror. doesn't really seem to be his sort of thing. However, what horror property would you entrust with Damon Lindelof to create an absolutely banging trilogy? Okay, I'm going to go with the horror franchise that I feel needs something. Okay, and like I'll tell you, man, my entire life, I have never really been able to grasp the Hellraiser uh, trilogy and mm-hmm. stuff like the like I know like Pinhead as as a whole is very 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 iconic. This is like so iconic and stuff. Like when you walk the streets of Rome, you will see people painting drawings of Pinhead mm-hmm. right next to Elvis, Eminem, and the Heath Ledger Heath Ledger Joker the same way they do it on Hollywood Boulevard. However. Like, I, I just kind of lost as to, like, why this is so goddamn iconic, you know? Like, the, I, like I've seen the first one. Like, it, it's good. Like, I, I don't think it's super great or special or anything like that. But it's still this thing that, like, is so hailed and stuff. And, like, I know Clive Barker's got his following, all that. But I feel that if I'm going to give, like, one franchise over to Damon Lindelof, it's going to be Hellraiser. And I'm going to tell you why. The first thing is it involves a puzzle box. I personally feel that Lindelof has just been waiting for a puzzle box to come along that he could write about it. Like, I think the puzzle box is something that he would have a shit ton of fun with. And the puzzle box would be more than just a prop in this case. And now I know that the, the puzzle box summons the, um, you know, the demigods or whatever, but I feel that if he was behind it, there would be some layers to the puzzle box and the puzzle box would have a lot more significance. And also the thing is called Hellraiser. So there's gotta be some type of like, there's gotta be some type of like religious thing here that he could sink his teeth into. And I feel that like with the religious symbolism and what he's done involving religious elements with some of his other works, that he might be able to really do something with this goddamn franchise. And he could still have all the demigods. He could still have the chains, the dude being built up from, you know, a skull and then some. But I feel that like he is could bring to the table what these franchises, what the, these movies are missing and it's weird because I don't really know what is missing from them, but it just it feels like to me every time I watch it, I don't quite understand mm-hmm. why this has had such longevity that it's had over the years. Like, is everybody just really like Pinhead? Is that it? Because he's not even in the movies all that much. So, like, I just I never understood this particular franchise. Yeah, I, I'm kind of I'm with you on this one, but I am I, I, with you on this one for a lot of reasons um, that. I think this is one of our original franchises, original horror franchises, where after the first couple, then it became about spectacle and the deaths. That mm-hmm. that's the only focus at this point is just like how gruesome can we kill people? Because like the the kind yeah. of the central conceit is that like the uh, the demons are called cenobites. That the cenobites, that's yeah, yeah, the demons like don't like pain is pleasure, pleasure is pain. So like gruesomely these like you know these 
these extra dimensional beings sort of like torturing people to death is like the same as sex basically for them. It's, um, yeah. it's very, very coded in BDM, BDSM, um, you know, to some degree, um, actually to a large degree, look at how they're dressed. Um, right. But, but like, I, but the, the first two are definitely different from the later ones where there's, where there's a lot more, there's a lot more story surrounding the puzzle box and pinheads of, you know, what pinhead is and like what he represents like there's more of that than in the later ones where it's just like Pinhead shows up and tortures someone to death. That's yeah. that's the later ones. And, yeah, I'm telling you, man, like I've always been lost on this. Like even going to the, the video store when I was younger, like you see this image of like Pinhead's on like the cover, like on the cover of the VHS mm-hmm. tapes and stuff. And like it's this iconic imagery. Like I said, like it's still around and it's still very, very prominent. But I've just never I've never really gotten these movies like and there, there's a lot of horror stuff. This is scary as shit, and there's some really crazy imagery in there. But I've just never really picked up on it. And yeah, me either. I feel, I feel like this is like something that like you know Lindelof can have himself a sick, twisted little uh, amount of fun with. And after, after watching um, the Hunt, you know that the the movie mm-hmm. that they didn't release due to the political climate, like I think I think he could do it now. And keep in mind that movie's like. I, very satirical and all yeah. this stuff, but the, the, there is a horror element to it. Like this might be like him dipping his toe into like a new genre. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I gotta, I have to check out the hunt, but yeah, I, you'll, I'm, love I'm, you'll love it, dude. You probably. will fucking love it. Um, probably. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm with you on Hellraiser. It's not one of those ones that struck a chord with me at all. Um, again, I've, I think I've seen four of them. And I, I want to say I've seen I've seen the first two. Then I want to I've seen the one where like I don't know like a dude's got a fucking CD player in his head and he's like shooting discs at people. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then like part of another one. Like it, you're right. These things have never really captured me. I think I think you know the pin the pinhead character uh, or AKA the Hell Priest um, mm-hmm. is obviously iconic. And I think the the original actor is Doug Bradley. It's it's definitely one of those ones that like it's just such a he, it's such a unique it's such a unique vision on a horror movie character that like mm-hmm. that that in and of itself is just pretty fucking cool like it's i mean that part of it's really fucking cool actually um yeah i just it doesn't it doesn't capture me either you know this is based off of clive barker's novella that is correct yeah yes. which I mean, i've never read i've never read no. any of his stuff and clive barker like when I was growing up, like you had like Stephen King was like always like this gold standard and stuff. And like Clive Barker was like the really scary, but like, you're not going to get it type shit. You know, it's like, it might be more gruesome, but it's going to be a little bit more out there than some of Stephen King stuff. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like I, yeah, not, this is something that just sort of missed me, um, as well. So I would, I, yeah, I do like the inherent puzzle, like literal puzzle box kind of idea behind it, because I think you could, I have a feeling that in, in Lindelof's hands, it would be significantly less violent and a lot more, you know, like the, the things that these people would be going through are a lot more like psychologically taxing. Mm-hmm. Definitely, dude. And I, th- I know that they're supposedly coming out with a reboot, but who knows? Like, I'm sure everything is being rebooted in some way. I feel, I feel like they just made uh, a Hellraiser in like 2011 or 12. That that was that supposed be to be a reboot, too. but it's I don't I don't think it's one of those. It's certainly like like we said, horror fans will go see this. 
Um, it's, you know, cause it's, it's a very, uh, you know, iconic to some people, an iconic horror movie, but I think it's one of those ones that it, it's lost on you and I, and a lot of people because it just, mm-hmm. it's not the same level. It, it, we don't talk about pinhead the way we talk about Freddy Krueger or Jason. Right. Voorhees. Right. You're right. It was um hellraiser judgment. It came out in 2018 and oh, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, if I'm not mistaken, this movie might be two and a half hours long, which I'm now starting to question. <laughs> I'm starting to question the, the Hellraiser movie doesn't need to be two and a half hours long. No, not a fucking chance. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. Nope. I misread that. Um, it's one hour and twenty one minutes. Nope. So that's that's, point, I'm, that's I'm correct. That is correct. I'm gonna watch this. I'm <laughs> totally gonna watch this now. This is like a this is a lunch break. For I was me. gonna say eighty one minutes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, not bad at all. Chema, I went with a, uh, <clears throat> I like your choice there, I, I, and I think it would be interesting. I went with another one that includes boxes, oddly enough, because <laughs> why not? Um, I'm talking the Cube trilogy uh, that spans from Ooh. 1997 to 2004. Canadian Canadian psychological horror. Um, is Canadian psychological sci-fi horror, I guess I, I would say it. Um, there's actually inherently like a lot of lost ideas right off the top. Um, that are it's that kind of make me wonder if perhaps Lindelof saw this movie um, because again it predates it predates the the final movie ends before Lost begins so I'm, I'm kind of curious about that but you're talking about strangers uh, being thrust together in an unknown environment um, any one of the people might be a plant or a spy or this kind of has more information um, than than the rest of the group uh, is is aware of um, mm-hmm. and and in this kind of setting these people need to sort of figure out what they know so they can kind of piece together exactly what they're doing in the in the titular cube um there's a number code that you have to figure out in the cube um each uh-huh. each each cube contains a um a, a number like a, a number sequence that are as we kind of advance to the movie we learn that they're coordinates and kind of by breaking down the coordinates we learn that the cube that they're in is actually not just one cube it's a it's a 14 i think it's a 14 a cube that is 14 feet in all directions or the you know the dimensions are 14 by 14 by 14 and there's in any direction there's 26 of them and because there's cubes it's 26 cubes so there's actually 17,000 cubes that they're trapped inside of um that rotate um so a very kind of lost mathematical like little extra you know extra kind of extra kind of like piece piece of the puzzle if you will um Everyone has to endure some kind of test or trial, um, and sometimes they're kind of they're personal. Like they they seem very personal. Um, fear and paranoia are kind of like they, they harm the group dynamic and cause people to not trust each other. And the people in the cube are in a very Lindelofian sort of way, and I would say in a very leftover sort of way. The people in the cube are mad at each other because there is no one to blame for their situation. Um, you can kind of read that as like religious or spiritual strife. Um, maybe, you know, just general, general trying to find the meaning of life kind of stuff. Um, there's definitely a metaphor there and it kind of feels a little bit like the leftovers because this crazy thing has happened to them and they can't find anyone to put their blame on. Um, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really interesting. I think it's the premise is more interesting than the execution. Although it's the first one, especially is a pretty good movie. Um, then they get then they get a little bit more increasingly weird and actually more a little bit more Lindelofian. Um, there's like some shady government connections um, and like in conspiracy stuff that actually involves uh, uh, Cube Cube Two and uh, or Hypercube and then Cube Zero. Um, they're getting to more like conspiracy stuff. 
So I think I think this kind of feels like one of those things could, that could really be right in the wheelhouse, right in the wheelhouse for for Lindelof. Every time you open a door into a new cube, there's like a new possibility, you know, a new test, a new, you know, a new message, a new vision, something like that could really like literally the possibilities are almost endless in that. And when you think about it that way. Oh, fuck. Yeah, this is like very, very, very Damon Lindelof. This is like right up his alley and stuff like you throw. Let's just, you know, the the numbers thing and some of the math stuff, like leaving that out of it, even though like, my God, that is just so Lindelof is not even funny. But this idea of just every time you open up a new door, there's something different. There is so much goddamn potential for that with the people like having all like not really knowing like who to blame, where to focus their anger and stuff that like internal conflict that the characters have 100% something right out of the goddamn leftovers, dude, you're so right on that. And like, the idea of just it expanding into like 17,000 cubes. I mean, there's Dave is going to have himself some fun with that shit, dude. I mean, like I'm just even like imagining like what he could do in terms of um, maybe a character who's suffering from something from their past. They open a door and they have to like relive that moment, almost like the same mm-hmm. way we saw like the lost flashbacks and stuff. Exactly. So, that's exactly how I was picturing it. Sort of, Sort sort of a yeah. I literally I was actually literally pitching picturing as a lost flashbacks. Like they open a they open they open a doorway to a new cube, and like there's you know there's something in front of them that like oh harkens back to whatever situation they had that they can remember when they're outside of the cube. Yeah, that's exactly how I thought of it. Yeah, I'm telling you, like that's whenever the time comes to reboot this one. This might actually be something that I could see him actively seeking out if he was a fan of these movies. Like, I mean, there's just so much fucking potential. And like, if you're giving him multiple movies, this dude, like, but this one might be one of the times where you actually get to the third movie and you are like super excited for it and you leave and you're like, that's the best one of the entire franchise. It could, I, I often wonder, um, and and it's obviously a little bit more fresh in my in our minds uh, because we just did Damon, the whole Damon the whole Damon Lindelof episode, but I often wonder if he would be and believe me I love his television efforts and I'm one thousand percent fine if he just stays in TV for the rest of his life because I don't think he'll disappoint, but I often wonder if just handing him three movies and saying like what's your idea fill you know fill three movies out if that wouldn't be one of the best trilogies that was ever made. Because he would have the space to like stretch all of his ideas out. Yeah, and when like when you just have a guy who can balance a lot of stuff like like he can, the way he handled that exceptionally large cast of Lost, it's just you, this is a guy who just knows what he's doing. Yeah, and like this is a guy who's going to grow this story the right way, and like do it through the characters not just like hey by the way this is a hey meet tim he he was in the cube like this entire time we just met him now you know you wouldn't have that kind of stuff right right exactly exactly so yeah cube and hellraiser those are two interesting interesting and disparate choices there but i think uh i like them both i like both of our ideas there um definitely last trivia question here before we wrap up and we kind of get to the idea of what we're going to jump into uh trivia question three here chema which horror franchise has the most installments? And I'll give you a hint. It's very on the nose. It's very, very, very on the nose. Yes. Okay, the most installments. Uh, it's very, very on the nose. Oh, God. Um, what the fuck would this be here? Let's not Friday the 13th. 
it's it's not Halloween, right? Like that's it's no, not no, Halloween. No, no, no. It's, no um, it's not Halloween. Okay. Um, I am trying to think of like all the different uh, ones that they would it be like one of these conjuring movies where the whole universe is uh, like the, the installments. No, that's because even that's fairly new. Uh, wow. Uh, Dracula. It's, it's something with Dracula. You're going to say Dracula. Yeah. You would be incorrect. And your first intuition was correct. Friday the 13th with 13 installments. Oh, oh, okay, I gotcha. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, that's wow. Okay, for some reason, like, it just seemed like too easy to me. It just seemed like that there would have been that there would have been one other one out there that I did not I, know that had something. With right. It. I, I I was when I when I was thinking about this question, I immediately thought that like, oh, it's going to be like an old like you kind of went with Dracula. I'm like, it's going to be an old horror movie character that like appears in a bunch. Nope, not even close. Friday the 13th. <laughs> like, Friday the 13th, Halloween, and um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, like, blow everything else out of the water. Yeah, like, Elm Street's probably probably pushing close to eight or nine. Yeah, that's got to be third. Yeah, they got to be at eight. I think, I think. it's. I so. think it was nine. Because you, okay. you include the one Freddy versus Jason. Oh, yeah, that would have been so the ninth I, one. So that's I think right. it's nine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But regardless, gotcha. um, yeah, Friday the Thirteenth, thirteen installments. Will they, will they go ahead and go for a fourteenth? It just feels like. It, I mean, they will, obviously. But yeah, it's just matter it, of time. It's just one of those things. It's like, oh, but you guys have thirteen. Like, it's in your fucking. Right. It's in the title of the goddamn movies. <laughs> like, shouldn't you just quit now while you're ahead? But yeah, no. Like, we're yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, the, the Halloween franchise capitalized big time off of the anniversary like the 2018 anniversary mm -hmm. there's really like i mean and that, and that would have been like either 2018 or 2019 would have been the same anniversary for the friday the 13th movies so they didn't capitalize on that I mean, i'm just wondering like what what kind of shot of relevance are they going to use to kind of bring this back you know like what's going to be the reason is it just like hey another jason movie on friday the 13th 2022 or is there going to be some type of like a zeitgeist you know kind of booster that they use to kind of shoot this thing into mm -hmm. like relevance yeah I, I i just think i think friday the 13th is going to be i think that's the one that will go all the way back to the original that mm -hmm. we're going to get a reboot with essentially without Jason Voorhees in it. And that's okay. how they're going to start I, again. Yeah. I, you know something I would, I would take that. Like I keep going back to the shot in my mind of when we first meet the mom and stuff and like, you know how she's coming up in the car and everything. I feel something similar to that, I think could work this year. Definitely get the right cast in the right casting choice in there. You're looking at something good. And since the audience already kind of knows where the story's going to go, it gives people something to look forward to. It's sort of like the way that this Mortal Kombat um, movie came out, how we haven't gotten to the tournament yet, but they've mentioned it. So it gives the audience a reason to come back for the second yeah, and third movies. Exactly. And I think, and I think if you do it that way, there's there's a little bit. You can. It sounds stupid. You can kind of ground it more in the characters. Without the presence mm -hmm. of Jason Voorhees, so it, it, it could you know you really could have some fun with whoever whoever plays his mom, 
or if you want yeah. fuck if you even want to make it his mom it doesn't you know what i mean like it doesn't really matter because we're gonna we're gonna wait to hold you know at least one movie we're gonna wait until we have jason in, in the sequel yeah definitely like yeah and dude now that i'm thinking now we're thinking about this like freddy's got to be like dead in the water for the foreseeable future like there's i'm not seeing any rumblings of being of bringing a nightmare on elm street back unless i'm totally missing something here no because those the ones with um um fuck what's his robert england no the more recent ones oh jackie earl haley jackie Earl Haley. thank you the ones that jackie earl haley just like didn't they didn't track like they didn't do anything that they were hoping hoping for so it's probably my guess is they're sort of waiting they're sort of waiting on the right time and probably the right person to pick up the mantle of freddy because it's i got you i don't think that person is present right now no i i dude i understand what you're saying and like with everything that a24 is doing and some of the more like independent but popular horror stuff like the midsummers and hereditaries and like like even the lighthouse to a certain degree Mm -hmm. there's really no room for freddy krueger right now i mean there's barely enough room for jason and like michael myers like i mean like i said we had the the anniversary i think helped out as far as michael myers's relevance is concerned but there's like there's so much like really different and unique and cool awesome new horror stuff coming out that i i there's always going to be a place for the slasher but i i almost think that right now you're almost better off just having it be like um a random slasher movie that you could turn into a sequel than it would be to release another friday the 13th or nightmare on elm street yeah i i think I, i'm i yeah i think we're collectively at that point where the the slasher is definitely on its it's on a down arc you know it doesn't mean it can't come back mm-hmm. but like i think just looking at the horror movies that have come out recently they're very different from the, from stuff from the heyday of the 80s very different oh god yeah i mean like i'm i'm kind of excited about the um numi rapice the icelandic sheep uh, horror movie that's, yeah lamb that's yeah i'm like i would like to get into the theater to check that out if i can like there's um yeah i mean it's just so cool and different you know what i'm saying like whatever i was sold on the trailer i'm like that this is all i need like this just looks so different Mm -hmm. that if this is the way horror is going to go for a while like yeah like i'm totally cool with it you know like i'll say like i'm kind of wearing thin on those like not necessarily slow burn but those like kind of like give you the willies horror movies that don't really feature many horror elements you Mm -hmm. know it's like um it might just be like like a family or something and there's there's crazy shit and they have the right music but it's not like super horror-y like i'm kind of okay on those but i am welcoming all of this like all of these new kind of takes and especially the stuff that like takes place like in remote scandinavian areas about sheep herding and how that's going to turn into a horror movie yeah exactly yeah i i have a, i have a taste for that kind of um i think we we mentioned it before when we were kind of talking we we're tossing around ideas um from uh from our last uh from our from spooky season last year that um like folklore horror would be kind of an interesting right. thing to delve into and um, that seems a lot of a lot of independent horror movies are delving into fol- folklore horror. Right. Yeah, big time. And like I'll tell you, it's something different. And like 
the way that they're presenting some of this stuff, it just looks way more unique than, you know, um, Candy Slice 5 or whatever. You know? Right, so, exactly. You you could argue, Chema, you could argue, though, that folklore horror is the original horror. Oh, without a doubt. All that word of mouth by the campfire stuff and, yep. like, the crazy creatures in the woods from 2,000-plus years ago, definitely, dude. And some of those folklores are even still relevant today. Like, you, starting in two weeks, will see an overabundance of like Boston township stuff in Ohio. Like all the mm-hmm. Ohio publications are going to be like, Hey, take a trip to Helltown and mutane town and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. And I mean, dude, that's just, that is just the local folklore from the Nordonia Hills area. Right. Like, I mean, we just wait till you get out. You got devil town junction and Kent. And I mean, you just keep going down the state. There's probably all kinds of the, the pumpkin heads and the uh, Kirtland and stuff. You got mm-hmm. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, so let's wrap this up here, Chema, with kind of laying out what we're going to be doing um, for season of the trilogy. So, obviously, we talked about a lot about franchises that have more than three movies, but for our purposes, we're going to stick with the rule of threes. We're going to select three horror films that are related some way. That are related in some way, though not officially a trilogy. So, like, mm-hmm. we're not going to pick. All right, let's watch the first three Freddy movies. Let's watch the first three Jason movies or the first three Saw movies. Um, right. That's out. However, I want you to find some kind of through line through three movies that connects them. So you could include a Halloween movie, but maybe maybe mm-hmm. it's Halloween 5 and Nightmare 3, and you think for some reason that Saw 2 has some kind of connected tissue that ties them all together. Um, doesn't matter. Just using those examples, doesn't have to be those horror movies. But... You know, it could, you know, but there has to be something that ties them together, even though they're not like in sequential order, um, even though they might not be from the, you know, same director or whatever. Um, but it could be something that straightforward. Could be something from the same director or writer. Maybe the, um, maybe there's a shared universe, um, a la Stephen King stuff. Um, all that yeah. takes place in the same universe. Um, similar setting, whatever. However, however you think about the connective tissue, we're going to take three movies. Take three movies. We're gonna watch them, and we're you know we'll obviously discuss them and and why we and you know why we selected these three movies, and we'll kind of break down the reasons that we think they fit together as a trilogy. Um, does that make sense? That makes all the sense in the world, dude. You bet. All right. Hopefully, everyone out there gets it, but you'll get it once we actually get into the episodes. Um, no need to talk about it like right now. You know, if you're thinking about it or whatever, I have at least two in mind, and. I, at least two, I will. I have three in mind, but I might swap one out for a different one. I haven't really decided yet, um, so no need to dis- no need to discuss it here. But I'll I'll add to it, sort of in the way that unofficial trilogies get their names. They have names, like we've talked before about uh, John Carpenter's The Apocalypse trilogy, or um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Edgar Wright, uh, Simon Pe- Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost have the Cornetto trilogy, or like the three the three flavors Cornetto trilogy or whatever. That's Shaun of the Dead. Um, Hot Fuzz and the world at World's End or whatever or the World's End, um, right? They all have some some kind of connective tissue, even though they're not official trilogies. They have trilogy names, so when we get to our trilogies, we have to name them as well. Yes, definitely. Okay, no problem, dude. Yeah. I know, I I have the road that I'm going to go down in mind. I just have to figure out the stops along the way. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's sort of where I'm at right now. I have a, I have a pretty good idea. Again, I have a pretty good idea about two of the movies that I want to see that I want that I want that I want to discuss, and possibly a third one. But it, again, it, it could be 
could be swapped out for a different one, but we'll see. Um, yeah, so that Chubba, that that wraps it up, and I'm I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to jump into uh, into this year's fright fest. Uh, we're not going with spooky season because I don't want to end up on a on a John Oliver fucking reel. Actually, take that back. I do want to end up on a John Oliver reel someday, but not for this. Right for something cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, anything else before we walk out of here, Gemma? Other than, dude, I'm excited to jump into the Fright Fest. This is one of the best times of the year for us and everything. Loving the theme um, and all the what we have going on in the future. So, fuck yeah, dude. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. All right. For Adam Chemilewski, this is Matt Pagel. And the Occasionalists are signing off. Thanks for downloading, streaming, uh, commenting, liking our stuff. Thanks for being our friends. Thanks for that text you sent us the other day. Thanks for whatever. It doesn't really matter. Just thank you. And we will see you next time when we continue with the season of the trilogy. Peace. Later.